We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast to bring you Listen, Watch, Discuss. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Listen, Watch, Discuss. As always, I'm your host, Bren Aiken, and uh, tonight is the season five finale. And uh, as always, you know, every year at the end of the year, the season finale is always uh, a countdown of my top 10 favorite movies of the year. And tonight is no exception. Uh, tonight, I will be counting down my top 10 uh, favorite movies of 2022. Um, so with that being said, uh, let's get on with the list. So uh, right at number 10, we have Bullet Train. Uh, now, I remember seeing the trailer for this uh, back in... I want to say it was like May or June. It was sometime early summer when they released the trailer for it. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is kind of funny. Uh, you know, it, it's it, this is probably going to be a pretty decently funny action flick. And um, and that's what I got. You know, uh, when it came out in August, uh, August 5th, to be precise. And yeah, it was pretty much what I expected it was going to be. It was really good. Um Essentially, the movie is about, uh, it stars Brad Pitt as uh, Ladybug. He's an assassin who has to get this briefcase on a bullet train in Japan. Uh, but he runs into some minor complications, mainly being that uh, there are other assassins on the bullet train who also either want the case or want the person who has the case or want the people who have the case in the first place. And, uh, and you know, that (laughs) needless to say that, uh, causes some delays in his, uh, mission and hilarity and violence and, you know, just over the top action, uh, you know, ensues from there. (laughs) Uh, the movie, uh, I really liked, uh, what they did with the, with the story and the way it was told because, Really, it reminded me of a Quentin Tarantino movie or like, you know, someone not parodying uh, a Quentin Tarantino movie or Quentin Tarantino himself, but more like someone paying homage to uh, his style of filmmaking or or a film of his, you know, any of his films. And uh, mainly just like the way kind of, you know, like Quentin Tarantino movies are known for having, you know, arguably over the top action. Uh, This movie had over the top action. Uh, there was a lot of gore, uh, maybe not quite to the extent of a Quentin Tarantino movie, but you know, there, there was a good, there was a considerable, considerable, uh, amount of gore, you know, and blood, uh, in this movie. Um, and, uh, the way they, the way the story was told in a sense that, uh, whenever they flashed back to a character we had yet to see, like, you know, uh, like for example, uh, Bad Bunny is, a an assassin in this movie. Uh, he's, uh, this, uh, Latino assassin, uh, and we're just introduced to him, you know, uh, a good while into the movie. And then immediately, as soon as he's, you know, brought onto the train, uh, we get his flashback, like his entire, everything we need to know about his character, uh, all in like three minutes. And, uh, of course I'm not going to tell you what happens with him, but, you know, there are a lot of assassins, a lot of characters in this movie, meaning that there are a lot of deaths and a lot of interesting and neat twists and turns, like characters that I thought were dead came back, 
you know, they turned out they weren't dead. Uh, some that I was hoping would make it out, didn't make it out. And, uh, and really just, yeah, you know, uh, oh, and I guess the soundtrack in a way, like the, the way music is used, that also kind of reminded me of a Quentin Tarantino movie. And I guess the way it was filmed. Uh, but that being said, I mean, it has its own identity. It doesn't, like I said, it doesn't feel like someone just outright copying like a Quint, how Quentin Tarantino makes movies like, you know, uh, word for word or not word for word, but like note for note, you know, like how he would make a movie. Uh, but yeah, I mean, on top of that, uh, movie was really good. I didn't know until I looked it up that it was based on a book in two, from 2010 called Maria Beetle. But it's titled, uh, well, yeah, it was, it was called uh, Maria Beetle in Japan. But it was originally uh, in the UK and US editions of the novel. It's called, well, the name of the movie, Bullet Train. And um, it was the second novel in a trilogy of novels. And uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, just, you know, I had a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, the acting was great. You know, Brad Pitt does a great job as as you would expect from him, but there's also, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry who play, uh, uh, twins. Well, they're, uh, well, obviously one's white and one's black, so they're not, uh, they're, you know, from an interracial couple. Uh, but they play, uh, like twin assassins who have some really good, uh, have a really good dynamic back and forth. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays Tangerine and Brian Tyree Henry plays, uh, Lemon. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> and they, they just have, uh, a great dynamic. Um, Michael Shannon plays, uh, the Russian boss, the white death, uh, who took over, a, a Yakuza group who, you know, if you don't know what the Yakuza are, they're essentially like the Japanese mafia. Uh, Zazie Beetz is in the movie. She's an assassin. Uh, Karen Fukuhara, who you might, I, hope I'm not butchering her name, but you might, uh, know her as, uh, Kamiko, uh, from the boys. Uh, and she was also Katana in the 2016 Suicide Squad, but, uh, she plays, <laughs> she has kind of a smaller role. She's not an assassin, but she's just a, a girl on the train who's offering people concessions. Like she's kind of like the flight attendant of the train. Uh, obviously I know trains don't fly, but you know, yeah, the concession girl. Yeah. And she, every now and then she just, interrupts an action scene, just pops, pops into from one car to the next, offering people snacks and water and shit. <laughs> uh, and, and there's some other, and there's an interesting cameo that unless you really recognize her voice, which you might recognize it, uh, you might be caught off guard by like at the end of the movie, uh, ladybugs contact and handler, uh, Maria, she shows up. And when you see her, it's like, Oh shit, it's her. Cause I mean, like, I heard her voice, but I didn't really connect her voice with her, you know, so I was like, I, it caught me off guard. But, of course, anyone who is a huge fan of her might recognize her voice over the phone, you know, so who's to say? Uh, but, yeah, and, and there's some more actors in here Some do a really great job. Uh, Hiroyuki Sonata plays the Elder. Uh, Andrew Koji plays Yuchi, uh, a member of the, Yaku sorry, the Yakuza. <laughs> there we go. And, uh, oh, and Joey King does a really great job as the prince. She's, uh, <laughs> she, she comes across as like this manipulative, uh, or I mean this, this, uh, kind of innocent, cute, you know, I guess kind of teenage girl, but she's actually like a 20 something 
year old uh like she 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 come she dresses herself as like a schoolgirl but she's actually a you know very smart very manipulative young assassin and she's great but yeah all the acting from everyone's great and there's and not only that one cameo at the end but there's a couple more cameos sprinkled throughout that are uh, a delight to watch it's like when they come on it's like oh shit so but uh the movie did I mean, it received mixed reviews from critics, but it grossed $239 million worldwide against a 90, 85 to a $90 million budget. So, I mean, hey, it made its money back, so, and then some, so you can't, can't argue with the results, you know? It did, for, for, you know, it not being, like, a really big budget movie, I mean, you know, having some notice, not- notable actors, but for it not being, like, you know, a superhero movie or a really big blockbuster movie for, you know, being kind of a lower budget action flick. I I'd say it did really well. So, uh, but yeah, but it's at, it's at number 10 on my list because, uh, while I did enjoy it there, the rest of the movies I enjoyed just a little bit more. Uh, but that's not putting this movie down. It's just, that's just hyping, I guess, hyping those movies up even more. Cause it's like, you know, there's some really good ones coming down the list. Uh, but yeah, so uh, with that being said, let's move on to number nine. Also, uh, if you heard that, you know, that beep, that sound effect that, you know, I use in the intro uh, after, you know, or right before this, uh, I figured I'd try something a little different with the ranking and the top 10, you know, movies uh, episodes where uh, after each segment, like after each uh uh, movie or, or show or whatever I'm ranking, uh, that's on the countdown. Like after I get done with one, I figured I'd add that sound effect in between each one, you know, to indicate it's like, okay, well that one's done now time to move on to number nine or number eight, you know? So, uh, I just figured I'd try it out, see if I liked it. I might just go back to how I used to do it. Um, or I may change up the sound effects with each passing number or with each, uh, ranking or top 10 list. I may change the, you know, may have a, I may keep them all the same on this one, but change the, uh, sound effect on the next ranking list. So, uh, who knows? But anyway, yeah. So if you heard that beep and you're like the hell, uh, that's what that was about. So, uh, all right. So yeah, (laughs) uh, number nine, we have Babylon. Now this movie came out, uh, last Friday and I just saw it, uh, Tuesday. I saw this and Puss in Boots, The Last Witch, The Last Witch, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, sorry, <laughs> uh, back to back. I Because I was like, well, I don't have anything to do today. I'll just see a couple movies, uh, see if they're worthy of being put on the list. And, you know, that and I, I wanted to see them. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just I'll go check these out. Um, and this movie, I will say, uh, I guess kind of spoiling it, but yeah, this movie definitely made the list. Um, I'm just gonna, yeah, so, okay, I'll tell you what the plot's about, you know, synopsis, and then I'll talk a little bit about the movie. Um, also, I may or may not go into some spoilers about each movie. I may try to keep it spoiler light for the most part. Uh, so, you know, keep that in mind. If you haven't seen any of these movies, you know, and you want to stop the episode and go watch them, do that. You're free to, um, but you know. So just so you know, may go into some slight spoilers for some of these, but, uh, but if you don't care about spoilers, you still want to hear my thoughts on them and you'll see the movies regardless, then by all means, please proceed. So, 
Uh, but yeah, Babylon is about, uh, it's an epic period comedy drama film. Uh, it was written and directed by Damien Chazelle. I believe I'm pronouncing his name right. And essentially it's about a group of actors living in 1920s Hollywood, late 1920s. And it's essentially following the rise and fall of all these characters during Hollywood's transition from silent movies to the talkies, you know, the talking pictures, you know, the sound films. Um, and you know, so it's essentially like maybe over the span of a, of a 10 year period, like 1926 to like 1932 or 36, somewhere around there. And then of course, at the end, we have a flash forward a couple decades later. I won't get into it, but you know, uh, which is pretty cool. And yeah, that's the basic plot of it. Uh, I'm just going to say, you know, right off the bat that, uh, or right right now that this uh, movie is insane, <laughs> and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, there's just so much shit that goes on in this movie; it's it's almost ridiculous. Uh, I will say uh, it's three hours, uh, and that may be a turnoff for some people because you know, like they, uh, you know, they they may find it to be a little egregious or a little boring. Because uh, it, it does slow down a little bit, but in my opinion, it didn't. I didn't lose. It didn't lose me. Like I, I was invested the whole time. But I could see how some people might be a little bit more invested in like the first hour than maybe like the second or third hour, or you know, parts in between in each of those three hours of the movie. Uh, but the really the first hour is all like, you know, it's like one thing after the other. The it's like nonstop, just shit on the screen, you know, and literally at one point there is shit on the screen because, because like within the first, and I'm not going to get too raunchy, but within the first five minutes, an elephant shits on someone, uh, and a woman pisses all over an obese guy. Uh, and, and that's just in the first five minutes. And then it, it, like the, the, really the first like 30, 40 minutes maybe is like a big mansion house party. Um, where, you know, like we, we kind of get introduced to our main characters and they kind of get introduced to each other and they're just all hanging out, uh, snorting cocaine, uh, you know, having sex, (laughs) you know, uh, riding elephants. Like it's just, it's, it's nuts. And then, uh, and then like the very next scene, uh, well, we get like a little bit of a breather, like maybe five minutes, but then like the very next scene is like the next 30 minutes is, uh, these characters that we met at the party all like shooting a movie out in the middle of the desert in, in Hollywood. And it, it's, it's, uh, it's anxiety inducing a little bit, but it's also hilarious and just well shot and well edited. Like the fast paced frenetic energy of it is just, you know, a delight to watch. Uh, I loved the, I just loved seeing the process of how kind of how movies were made back then because you know I mean the the technology was isn't quite what it is today you know uh and also the fact that they really didn't give a shit too much about like workers comp or anything or anything to do with like the actors because like they just get a bunch of random junkies like okay like uh Brad Pitt's character uh, who, again, Brad Pitt's in this one, <laughs> just like Bullet Train, but, uh, his character, uh, Jack Conrad, uh, he, uh, is, um, he's the one who throws the party, uh, 
or wait, no, 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 it's not hit. No, he goes to the party, my bad. Uh, but he is known for throwing outlandish parties. Uh, but he is shooting a medieval war movie and they essentially just hired a bunch of random junkies to be the, be the knights, be the soldiers in the movie. And there's like one scene or there's one part in, in that 30 minute segment where we don't see it. We just cut to the aftermath of it. But one of the junkies gets impaled by a flagpole and it's the director and Brad Pitt's character, Jack, and, uh, and a few other characters Oh, and uh, kind of Jack's friend slash assistant, uh, Manuel, Manny, uh, Manny Torres. He, uh, they're all looking at him. They're like, oh shit, he's dead, right? And they're like, okay, well, screw it. Let's get back to shooting. <laughs> like, they just did not give a shit about that dude. They, they like mourned him for maybe 15 seconds at that. And then they're like, okay, time to roll, you know, roll the camera. We ain't got all day. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was fun to watch, watch that. And then it kind of slows down a little bit to let us you know, to develop the characters a little bit more. But, uh, but you know, not only did I like how insane the movie got at times, uh, and, and, and there's even more insane moments. Like, I'm not even, like, there's a, a scene with Tobey Maguire where he takes Manny and one of Manny's friends down to, and I won't tell you the circumstances surrounding it. You'll find that out when you watch the movie. But uh, Tobey Maguire plays this character, uh, what's his name? Uh, James McKay, he's a mob boss. He takes uh, Manny and one of Manny's friends down to this underground party, and he takes them like three levels down, and there's this just buff dude eating rats, wearing this weird-looking face mask, and, like, there's some great, hilarious lines in the movie. One of my favorites is from Toby. Like, after they see him just eat this live rat, like, almost, you know, like, debone the rat while he's eating it. Uh, uh, Toby's character looks, uh, looks over at Manny and he's like, isn't this great? We found this dude in a forest in Oregon. He's awesome. (laughs) And it's just like the insanity in his eyes and just how happy he clearly is with the depravity and the, the batshit insanity that's unfolding in front of them. It is just that, that it was just delivered so perfectly. Like, you know, Toby Maguire is a great actor. I mean, I've only seen him in this and the Spider-Man trilogy and I guess No Way Home because, yeah, he was in that. But what I've seen him in, he's great. Like, he he, go, he comes in, delivers exactly what he needs to and does it well. Uh, but there's another scene where Margot Robbie's character, she's in this movie, uh, she's uh, filming uh, her first uh, talking picture, you know, because uh, up until... You know, like uh, uh, earlier in the movie, everyone was just filming silent movies, and then, but she ends up getting to film her first talking picture, and it takes like fifteen twenty minutes for them to. It feels like fifteen twenty minutes for them to shoot this one scene because the sound guy keeps, uh, you know, uh, cutting to tell them, "Hey, no, uh, I- I'm not getting enough sound from Nelly." And Margot Robbie's character's name is uh, Nelly Leroy, by the way. Uh, he's like, hey, I'm not getting enough sound from Nelly's uh, mic. And then people keep opening the door in the studio lot, like, you know, or from outside. They keep opening the door <laughs> and messing up the lighting and shit. And it's uh, the the uh, the camera or the sound guy, not the sound guy. I think it was like one of the camera guys. Uh, he keeps like suffering from heat stroke because he's in this hot ass box. 
and uh, he keeps like opening the door, trying to get out, uh, and it's it just great. Um, but yeah, so I won't spoil. I won't go into like what happens with these characters. Some of them get better endings than others. Uh, some of them get really tragic endings, and I was kind. Of, and I really liked the what the movie had to say about Hollywood, Hollywood sensibilities, like because uh, up until. Like, in the late 20s, you know, when and the movie starts, you know, everyone's kind of just doing what they want to. And, you know, that can kind of lead to, you know, I mean, that's not always the best for everyone. But, like, you know, in the movies, they were a little bit more lax uh, than they started to get. Because when Talking Pictures came around, or in, in the movie at least, uh, people were like, yeah, everyone's kind of, they want something with more morals. And they want something with less depravity. And... You know, so like it's, you know, we get to see the characters essentially having to stop loving who they're in a relationship with, uh, being, you know, kind of changing their names like Manuel uh, changes his name to Manny Torres because, you know, it's more marketable, you know, and he like slicks his hair back, changes his whole wardrobe, uh, you know, just to rise up in the ranks, uh, you know, being told, oh, yeah, you're not dark enough to your band members you're not the same shade of skin as them. You're not the same color. So can you darken your skin with this charcoal, you know, like, uh, you should like that, you know? And it was just cool to see these characters who at one time in the movie were free to be themselves kind of having to be boxed into, you know, other people's, uh, senses of right and wrong or what was acceptable and what wasn't. And I just thought that was really cool. I, I enjoyed that. And and seeing them having to deal with that, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I could, yeah. And, and I loved the kind of friendship slash romance between Nellie, Margot Robbie's character, and uh, Manny Torres, uh, played by Diego Colva, or Calva, who I haven't seen him in anything else. Or at least I don't think he, I have. But I thought for this being my first movie seeing him in, I thought he did a really good job. And, uh... And I just, because I love the first moment, like, it's when they part ways at the party, uh, Manny's just watching Nelly drive away, and he's like, I th- he says it in Spanish, but he's like, I think I love you, and I'm like, same, dude. Like, <laughs> or I think I'm in love with you, and and I I just couldn't help but think I'm like, same, dude. Because, I mean, Margot Robbie's beautiful, you know, and not and not only is she beautiful, but she's also a very talented actress. and uh, And she knocked it out of the park with her role in this one, because I was like, you did a good job. It was really good. Uh, Brad Pitt does a great job. Everyone does a great job. Really everyone. And also Flea, interestingly enough, from Red Hot Chili Peppers, has a cameo, but it's like a recurring cameo. Like he keeps popping up throughout the movie and I'm like, oh shit, you know, because I figured it was just going to be at the beginning because he's at the party in the beginning. He's like one of the mem- one of the help, you know, uh, along with Manny, who's like trying to organize the party and shit. And then... You know, I thought that was going to be the last we saw of him, but it wasn't. I was like, oh, okay, cool. He's popping up again. I like it. And I think he's a pretty good character actor. I mean, you know, he's been in the Back to the Future movies as Needles. He was in Obi-Wan. He was one of the bounty hunters that got sliced <laughs> by by the Grand Inquisitor, by his lightsaber. Uh, he's been in some more stuff, you know, and on top of him, again, being in one of the biggest bands in the world. Uh, yeah, he's he did a pretty good job. But yeah, I could see... And some people were, like, divided on the movie, uh, particularly the runtime and the graphic content. And I could understand that, but to me, that didn't really bother me. I was still enjoying the movie enough to where 
I mean, I, I'm not really a prude. I mean, I, I get some people might not like graphic stuff, but I'm not really a prude when it comes to that, you know. And uh, and as for the runtime, uh, it it inv- I was interested enough in the characters and what was going on to where the runtime I didn't really notice it. You know, I mean, it could have could it have been shorter, yes, but I wasn't really bothered by it. You know, so. Uh, but yeah, so again, yeah, I loved this movie. Uh, but you know, again, there's even better movies to come, uh, further down the list. So, uh, now that number nine is done, let's move on to number eight. At number eight, we have Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Now, uh, I got into the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie uh, a little bit later. Uh, I remember... What it feels like a lifetime ago, but I remember way back in, I want to say like June or July, it was summer of 2029. I mean, what the hell? Uh, no, that's a lifetime away. Uh, 2019, uh, that's, that's like eight years away or seven something. Anyway, but I remember, yeah, in the summer of 2019, uh, the trailer for the live action CGI Sonic the Hedgehog movie came out. And needless to say, it was uh, met with backlash, uh, severe backlash, by fans of the game and, and I guess, of the animated series and, you know, just fans of, I guess, really good movies in general, <laughs> you know, because they saw this, they saw the trailer and they're like, wow, this looks terrible. Like, not only does it look painfully unfunny, but uh, it looks, the animation for Sonic is awkward and kind of nightmare-inducing, and he looks way too realistic for the, the, you know, what Sonic's supposed to look like. Like he had individual teeth and his shoes, you know, were like realistic looking and you could see like each individual fur or like, you know, uh strand of hair uh, on him or fur or whatever, you know, and uh, his, and he had like realistic looking eyes. Like he looked too realistic and he's a blue hedgehog that stands on his, t- uh, on his, back feet and wear sneakers and gloves. Like he's not supposed to look realistic. Like, it's like, what are you doing? You know? Uh, (laughs) and I mean, this coming from, uh, uh, someone who hasn't played the games or watched any of the shows, I was like, I can understand why people are pissed, you know, but thankfully, you know, Paramount and, and, uh, I guess Sega, or I guess it was mostly Paramount, but yeah, they, uh, responded to the backlash and they're like, okay, fair enough. We'll change it. So originally, the movie was supposed to come out in November of 2019. It came out in February of 2020 because they had to go back and reanimate Sonic to make him look well, you know, like the actual character uh, in the video games and, and the shows. And uh, and they and and not only uh, when that new trailer came out in 20 November of 2019, not only did Sonic look way more faithful to the game and games and the shows, but the tone of the movie and the the song that they chose for the trailer and the jokes like it all felt better like i mean it wasn't only just his design everything about that trailer sold the movie way better than that first trailer and uh and i was gonna i was looking forward to it i wanted to see it but i saw birds of prey and i just didn't get around to watching it but thankfully with sonic the hedgehog 2 coming out this april you know uh like a few days before it it was released on April 8th. I saw it in, uh, I saw it like a few days before, uh, the first one I saw. And I was like, this was really good. 
And one of the things I really loved, it was Jim Carrey, which I'll get into in a second, but uh, I'll, I'll go into more of him in a second. But uh, but I thought he was really great. I'm like, wow, this he is really like his comedic timing and, and just his delivery of all his lines were was fantastic. And and I love Jim Carrey. He's a great actor. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> Lloyd, you know, uh, from Dumb and Dumber, you know, that's one of my favorite roles of his. Uh, I mean, who who doesn't love uh, Harry and Lloyd, you know, like, I mean. They're an iconic 90s duo, you know, uh, and that's an iconic movie. It's a great movie. But uh, and, you know, and of course, he's been the live action Grinch and in the 2000s live action Grinch movie. Uh, he was in uh, uh, Evan Almighty with Morgan Freeman, where, you know, Morgan Freeman played God. And he chose uh, Evan to or no, no, wait, was it Bruce Almighty? It one of the two. One One of them had Steve Carell and the other one had Jim Carrey. Uh, I forgot which one was which, but you know, it was one of the almighties <laughs> and, you know, he was in that, uh, he was, you know, Scrooge in the 2009 CGI, a Christmas Carol. He's been in a bunch of movies, but, uh, and this, you know, uh, him kind of wanting to do serious roles and then seeing him do this, it's like, he's still got a knack for, for, you know, uh, for playing comedic roles. I mean, like he hasn't lost his touch, you know, but, uh, but essentially Sonic the Hedgehog 2 you know, picks up where kind of the first one left off. It's essentially Sonic living with his, uh, human friends who have kind of adopted him and become his parents, uh, Tom and Maddie, uh, you know, this married couple who've got a dog, Ozzy, and, uh, you know, the Sonic lives in the attic. Everything's going well, but Dr. Robotnik played by Jim Carrey, he finds a way back from the dimension that Sonic pushed him into at the end of the first one, this mushroom dimension, uh, he, you know, him being this smart ass self, he finds is this genius intellect. He finds a way back and he swears revenge and he befriends another, uh, uh, similar character to, or another similar creature to Sonic, uh, Knuckles, uh, who voiced by Idris Elba, who does a great job, by the way. <laughs> uh, and he, I, he's not a, uh, He's a shit. He's not. He's not a hedgehog. I don't think. Uh, he's a spiny anteater. That's what, apparently what he's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, not only that, but we also have Tails, who is a fox who can uh, fly using her two tails, um, or his two tails. I'm not sure the. I, it's a Tails is either a guy or a girl because there's a a girl. There's a voice. There's a woman voicing Tails, but Tails. I don't know, I'm not quite sure. But anyway, Tails, you know, arrives to Sonic's world, or I mean to Earth, and Tails is like, okay, well, you know, uh, I need your help taking down Robotnik and Knuckles, and, uh, and you know, and Sonic once again has to defeat him, along with trying to stop Knuckles and uh, him from getting the Chaos Emerald, which, you know, has untold powers and uh, can, you know, destroy the world and, and all that stuff, you know, and, uh, and yeah, so it's the basic plot. Uh, I loved this movie as well. <laughs> I know I keep saying I love this movie. I love all 10 of these movies. Uh, but you know, I mean, not, not one on the list. Do I even just kind of think is, eh, that's okay. You know, but, uh, this movie was great. Uh, it did everything a sequel should do. And I'm probably going to say that for the next couple movies on the list because they are sequels um the next two or three but uh it did what a, any good sequel should do which is 
you know, continue the story of the original, but don't just repeat the exact same shit, you know, do something a little bit new, take the story in a different direction, you know, put some more twists and turns in there, you know, with, uh, with the plot. And, uh, and they do, and, you know, and they throw some new characters into the mix, you know, we get Tails and Knuckles, who, I mean, we saw Tails in the post credit scene of the first one, but I mean, you know, I mean, this is our proper introduction to him in a sense that we get to know him, uh, more, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, yeah, I mean, it was cool, uh, again, the animation was great, uh, the voice acting from, uh, Idris Elba as Knuckles and Colleen O'Shaughnessy, I believe I'm pronouncing her name right, uh, as Tails, uh, was great, and Ben Schwartz, who, uh, some of you may know as Jean-Ralphio Saperstein from Parks and Rec, Tom's, uh, eccentric and kind of, kind of idiotic best friend, but not really idiotic, but he's kind of naive. He's a little stupid, but he's not, he's not that stupid. He's, he's more naive and just, you know, rich. So he's, uh, but yeah, he, you know, he does a great job voicing this character. Like he brings the energy and, and fit and fits that fits the, the tone and personality of the character so well. Uh, and again, that's coming from someone who hasn't really played any Sonic games, but like when I heard Ben Schwartz's voice, when I watched the first one, I'm like, oh yeah, he sounds, I mean, that that's totally like the voice that I was kind of picturing in my head. Uh, like it's perfect, you know? And, uh, but yeah, but on top of that, the acting from the human characters are great. Like again, Jim Carrey brains it, knocks it out of the park again with, uh, playing Dr. Robotnik. Uh, you know, he's great. Um, and James Marsden, who plays, uh, Tim in the movie, uh, I mean, not Tim, uh, Tom, uh, <laughs> you know, Sonic's friend and I guess adopted father. He does a great job and he's always a great actor, uh, whether it's serious stuff or comedic stuff like this, uh, and Tika Sumter, who plays his wife in the movie, um, Maddie, she did a great job. Uh, not to mention she was just as gorgeous as ever. Uh, <laughs> cause, cause that was one thing, uh, when I watched the first one that I, I just, as soon as she, as soon as her character came onto the screen, I was like, oh my God, she is so unbelievably gorgeous. Uh, like, I, I just couldn't help, but I just, I said it out loud. I couldn't, I mean, you know, I just got that kind of reaction. I mean, like, wow, she is breathtaking, you know, and, uh, and she's still breathtaking here, but, you know, but on top of the, their acting, like the live action characters acting, uh, you know, I liked the, I liked the chemistry between, Tom and Maddie, you know, James Marsden and Tika Sumter's characters. I, I liked their, they seemed like a real couple and they had some great, they had great chemistry and they, you know, I liked, they had some funny moments between the two of them, you know, like funny dialogue. And, um, yeah, I just liked how they played, well, they played well off of each other. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, and I liked what they did with the plot, you know, continuing, but kind of mixing things up. And, uh, and again, they had another post credit scene that teases, uh, what's to come for the third one. And they are making a third one. And I'm very curious to see what they do with the third one, because I don't know what this character is, but apparently he's like a robotic evil Sonic. Uh, what was his name? Let me, let me look. Uh, let's check. Uh, well, where was it? Okay, well, I can't find it. But anyway, uh, yeah, apparently he's like a, a powerful character in the game. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, cool. 
Um, but yeah, so this, and what's cool about this movie too, is it's, it grossed $402.7 million worldwide. It's the highest grossing video game film in the U.S. And it's the fourth highest grossing video game film of all time. So it's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, with the third one expected to release in December of 2024, uh, December 20th, 2024, more specifically, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with the third one. And if it's, and I don't know if this one's better than the first one, but it's a sequel that I can say is at least on par with the first one. And I think as long as you can do that with a sequel, then, you know, uh, hey, you accomplished, you accomplished what you set out to do. I mean, you, at least you didn't make it any worse. You know, you made it, you made one that's just as good as the first one that you want to watch with the first one, you know? Uh, and I'd say that's a, that's a good accomplishment. So, um, but yeah. Uh, and now let's move on to number seven. And for number seven, we have another sequel, uh, Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery or, uh, Knives Out 2. Um, now I, I'll probably just be repeating a lot of what I said about the movie, uh, from last, uh, week's episode, because if you listen to last week's episode, it was my review of this movie because it came out last Friday and I reviewed it, watched it and reviewed it, uh, that, that night. Uh, so, you know, uh, bear with me. I mean, <laughs> kind of, I'll be repeating a lot of the same stuff, but you know, uh, but if you haven't listened to that review, then you'll be able to hear my thoughts on the movie, uh, right now. So, uh, but yeah, so when the first Knives Out, uh, came out in 2019, in November of 2019, uh, most everyone loved it. I mean, I, everyone loved it, I feel like, uh, or most people did. And it was one of my, it was in my, I think it was like my third favorite movie of that year. And, uh, you know, a lot of people liked it and a lot of people thought that it made up for, uh, Ryan Johnson's, uh, previous movie, The Last Jedi, because, you know, a lot of people were, that's one of the most divisive, fan, uh, films of the Star Wars series. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people were like, oh yeah, I mean, and again, like to say that, oh yeah, you hate a director or hate, or you're gonna, uh, hate every movie of theirs, uh, just, uh, just because you didn't like one movie, you know, uh, even if you haven't seen the movie that's been released, you're like, well, I didn't like this movie of theirs, so I'm not going to like any movie that that comes out from them. It's kind of arrogant, you know, and it's kind of like, come, you know, it's like, come on, it's a little presumptuous, you know, it's like, come on, why are you just, you know, you haven't even seen it. How can you judge something you haven't seen yet? And you're really going to hate the guy just because you didn't like the movie. It's kind of, it's kind of childish, you know, but, uh, but needless to say, a lot of people, Ryan Johnson became, was on a lot of people's good graces after, uh, Knives Out. And, you know, not too long after the first one came out, they announced that they were going to make at least two more. Uh, but that, you know, a, a sequel was definitely, uh, set, you know, greenlit and the, uh, sure enough, they are going to make one more after this. At least I, yeah, they bought, uh, Netflix, uh, in 2021, bought the rights to two Knives Out sequels for $469 million. So this movie, unlike the first one, went to Netflix. Although, uh, fun fact, for one week uh, in November of this year, uh, November 23rd, which was a Wednesday, they uh, released it for, yeah, they released it for one week in theaters. So uh, I thought that was kind of neat. And it's also received the widest 
theatrical release ever for a Netflix film, and it grossed $15 million against a $40 million budget, which, for it only being out for one week, you know, not bad. I thought it did pretty well. Uh, but yeah, so the movie is essentially, you know, uh, kind of like what the first one was. It's a murder mystery, uh, but, you know, it's an anthology movie, kind of, or th- this series is like an anthology series because we don't see any of the characters that we saw in the first movie except for the main character, Detective Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig. Uh, he is the only character from the first one that we see in this one. Uh, and he is uh, solving yet another mystery. Uh, and, you know, more specifically, another murder mystery. Because he, along with uh, seven other people, uh, he's essentially invited with the f- uh, to this uh, billionaire's private island in Greece. Uh, along with, uh, you know, he, he's, no one knows why he was invited, uh, but he's, he's mysteriously invited, uh, along, you know, uh, with this tech billionaire's, uh, seven other friends. And, uh, you know, he, the tech billionaire played by Edward Norton, uh, his character, Miles Braun, uh, he's invited them all for a murder mystery party. You know, they're going to have a great weekend, uh, hanging out on the beach and at the pool, but more importantly, or, you know, most importantly, they're going to solve his, uh, murder. And, uh, you know, things are going well, you know, for the most part, uh, for a little bit when they get there. But, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) without spoiling too much, uh, one of the characters gets murdered and it becomes a real life murder mystery, a real life whodunit. And once again, Benoit Blanc, has to solve the case. He has to figure out. Uh, but although, unlike the, the there's some twi- there's a, kind of a twist in this one, or there are some twists. But you know, um, you know, unlike the first one, uh, Benoit Blanc, uh, like they know that someone got murdered, but there's kind of another murder that's even bigger that unfolds uh, as the, as the movie progresses. And then that one is kind of the one that, that gets solved first, if that makes sense. Or that, that's kind of like the main one that, that, uh, is the main murder mystery. But like they're, you know, one of them gets murdered at the party and Benoit Blanc and the remaining friends, the remaining eight have to figure, or the remaining seven have to figure out who killed their friend and why, and where are they now before they strike again, you know? And, uh, Yeah, I liked this movie a lot. Uh, I'm going to say what I said uh, with Sonic the Hedgehog 2 uh, in that this movie is another example of a sequel that is as good as the first one or is on par with the first one. Uh, Maybe even a little better, but I but, you know, if if at the very least it's on par with the original and uh, again, great thing to say, uh, you know, to a sequel, if, if you can say that about a sequel, then you've succeeded. Uh, but you know, as always, the, uh, acting from everyone is great. Uh, Daniel Craig has been Blanc, you know, slips right back into the character and does a fantastic job at playing this eclectic or kind of eclectic, but this eccentric, uh, Southern, uh, badass, smart ass detective or not smart ass, but smart detective. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and he's like, he's supposed to be like the world's greatest detective and, and, uh, and, you know, he just comes across as like cool, but without trying to be cool, you know, uh, like he's just kind of this suave, 
guy. And sometimes he kind of blends in the background, like when he's like observing the the dynamic of the friend group. Like, you know, there there are some scenes where he talks, but like he's not really the main focus of the 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 scene. He's just kind of like just sitting in the corner, you know, blending in the background, just watching the, the dynamic unfold, you know, learning more about these characters and, you know, I guess assuming that there might actually be a murder uh, or, you know, assuming and kind of and, and correctly assuming that there is going to be a murder that happens, a real life murder that's going to happen on the island because, you know, he he tells Miles, he's like, OK, you've put the idea of murder into everyone's heads and all of your friends have a legit reason, and I won't say what the reasons are, but all of your friends have a legit reason to murder you. And he tells him straight up, he's like, it's like putting a loaded gun on the table and turning off the lights. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, and and ben, and Blanc's right, you know, um, because, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, there is a murder, and they have to figure out who did it, and, you know, or else they're going to die too, because, as Blanc says... The killer is not going to hesitate to kill again if it benefits him or her. Um, and yeah, and just like the first one, there are... Or, well, yeah, actually, wait, let me go back to the acting. Yeah, uh, as always, yeah, uh, Daniel Craig does a great job as Benoit Blanc. But since he is the only returning character, that means there are eight new characters who all have some time to shine. And they're all acted phenomenally, too. Uh I I loved the the friend group. I loved the dynamic between all of them and each of their personalities. And they're kind of characters that you've seen before, but they're played so well and they're so funny and the dynamic between them is so great that it's like, well, it's fine if we've kind of seen these types of characters before. I mean, they're given some funny things to say and you and they're well acted, you know, you like the dynamic between each of the eight friends, you know. It's like it's kind of cool. And you know, it's kind of cool to see Blanc having to, you know, learn about a whole new group of people, like he did with the the Thrombies, the Thromby family, uh, in the first one. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some great, you know, acting from the group. Uh, Edward Norton plays the kind of head of the group, Miles, uh, Miles Braun, who's the rich tech billionaire. You have uh, Leslie Odom Jr., who plays a scientist who works at his company. Um, Janelle Monet plays uh, Andy Brand, uh, and she also plays a, she has a dual role, uh, but I won't say the other person that she plays because it's kind of a twist and I'd kind of be spoiling if I did, but she does a great job because the two characters she plays are totally different in like personality and, uh, you know, voices and, and the tones, uh, you know, of their characters are so different, but she does a great job at like playing both. Like she plays them both so well. Uh, Catherine Hahn, uh, plays Claire. She's a, a politician. She's the governor of Connecticut. Kate Hudson is Bertie J. She's a supermodel, fashion designer. Uh, Dave Batista is a video game streamer, uh, streamer, streamer and men's rights activist, Duke Cody. Uh, Jessica Henwick plays Peg. She's Bertie's assistant. Uh, Whiskey, Duke's girlfriend, is played by Madeline Klein. Uh, and then, of course, uh, and then, of course, yeah, Daniel Craig is Benoit Blanc. But yeah, uh, all nine of them together are great. Uh, the movie had a lot of great twists and turns uh, in regards to who the killer was, uh, the bigger mystery of, oh, wait, there's another character that got murdered. Why did they get murdered? And were they murdered by the same person? You know, uh, and, you know, and just 
trying to figure out like, because the movie does like the first one, although I think this one does this a little better, but the, uh, the movie plants or sows seeds of doubt within the audience uh, in regards to who the killer is and why they killed this person and and all that, you know, and and will and is there another character or any of these other characters going to die, you know, and uh, and I think they do a great job with that. <clears throat> and, um, and, you know, it, it kept me guessing till the end or, or till the part where we kind of had everything, uh, figured out or had everything kind of explained to us, you know, kind of, and, uh, you know, and, and there weren't really any ass pulls, like everything kind of felt like they either set it up or it made sense within the logic of the story. Like nothing felt out of place or nothing felt too, yeah, nothing felt out of place to where it's like, okay, well that, you didn't really establish that as part of the mystery or to really go like, oh, well, this happened, you know, or, oh, I think I know who did this. And, you know, like, but I, I think they did a great job with that, too. And uh, soundtrack was great. Uh, i trying to think of anything else to say about the movie. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess I'll just stand with, you know, it was, you know, I, I expected it to be really good. And it was. And it's a sequel that's just as good as the first one. And I am really looking forward to the third one if they keep up the uh, if they keep up this level of writing and you know acting from everyone uh, because you know first two were fantastic so I'm hoping the third one can uh, follow suit. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> I know I've said this about the last two movies or I've I mentioned this kind of in the last two movies uh, or talking about the uh, last two number eight and nine. But the uh, women in the movie are gorgeous. Uh, I just, all of them are like, man, you guys are so gorgeous. But, you know, they're all also all great actors. I just, and actresses. I just wanted to say, like I was just watching, I'm like, you are all unbelievably beautiful. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah, uh, looking forward to the third one. Don't know when it's coming out, but I am anticipating it greatly. So, uh, and now let's move on to number six. And at number six, we have Top Gun Maverick, or Top Gun 2. Uh, so I was a little late, uh, like with Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, the first one, I was a little late getting into uh, Top Gun. Uh, well, more specifically Top Gun Maverick, but I guess Top Gun, I guess I was kind of late getting into the first one as well, because uh, I had not seen the first one when the trailers for the second one uh, came out, and when the second movie you came out in May, I, you know, hadn't seen the first one, and, you know, it, it took me a couple months to finally see the second one, uh, but, you know, I watched the first one uh, a couple days before I went to go see Maverick, and I liked it, and then I saw Top Gun 2, or Top Gun Maverick, uh, I want to say, like, mid-July, or late July, so it was, like, two months after the film had been out in theaters, uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it was making so much money that, you know, it stayed in theaters for like three, I think four months. So, I mean, it, it was one of the highest grossing movies of this year. But, uh, and I can see why. But, uh, you know, when I finally did see it, I'm like, you know what, this, uh, again, this is a sequel. However, unlike 7 and 8, uh, or, I mean, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and Glass Onion, I think I can say without a doubt that this sequel is better than the first one. And that's coming from, and that's, 
and that's me saying that I liked the first one, but I just think that this one is even better. And uh, I'll explain why in a second. But uh, but yeah, essentially the movie, you know, it's it's because uh, the first movie came out in uh, it was like what nineteen eighty seven, I think. Um, I'm pretty sure. Let me check. Uh, it was, it was like, yeah, the mid eighties or, or no, it was 1986. Yeah. Uh, I was close, but yeah. So, you know, it, it's been 96, 2016, uh, it's been 36 years. So it's been quite a while, but, um, uh, but you know, this movie, uh, it's essentially just Maverick, uh, played by Tom Cruise, uh, confronting his past, uh, you know, about what happened with his partner Goose from the first one. And he's training, uh, he's, uh, given the task of training a whole new group of, uh, young Top Gun graduates. Uh, unfortunately, one of the graduates is the son of his best friend, Goose, who, like I said, uh, or actually, I don't think I said it yet, but, uh, Goose tragically died in a plane crash, um, way back when, uh, you know, Maverick was around their age. So yeah, unfortunately, you know, that kind of leads to some conflict, uh, they try to overcome it and, you know, he's like, okay, look, we, we just got to put this in the past. I'm sorry for what happened. I, it wasn't my, that clearly was not my intention. It wasn't my fault, but I'm still sorry that happened. Let's focus on getting you guys, you know, graduated. And, um, and yeah, that, I mean, that's the plot and there's a little bit more to it. Uh, I like the, the kind of romance or the romantic subplot with him and, uh, uh, it's not Kelly McGillis uh, this time. She wasn't in this one. Uh, and it's a new character. Like, uh, this this actress wasn't in the first one. But she plays... Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're set up, we're established uh, when we establish her character. Or when her character is established in this movie. It's like, oh, okay, so she is just a love interest of... She's a girlfriend, a former girlfriend of Mavericks. Uh, clearly, sometime after his relationship with Kelly McGillis's character, uh, from the first one. Uh, so, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, I can buy that, you know, uh, but her name, uh, was it Jennifer? Yeah. Jennifer Connelly. She plays Penny. Uh, and I thought she did a good job. I liked the chemistry her and Tom Cruise had, uh, and their, and their characters had. And, um, uh, I thought it was sweet. I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, uh, Miles Teller plays uh, Rooster, <laughs> uh, Goose's son, and I liked the the kind of back and forth that him and uh, that that his character and Maverick's character had. Uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, John Hamm plays Vice Admiral Bo, uh, who's just shitty almost all the time uh, towards Maverick. Like <laughs> he just not d- does not enjoy giving him any credit whatsoever, despite how far. Mavericks come in his career, you know, uh, and how further he could go in his career if he wanted to, but he chooses not to, he likes doing what he does. You know, he likes being a test pilot. Um, but yeah, he's great. Ed Harris is, uh, Chester hammer Kane. He's the rear admiral. He's Mavericks, uh, boss, his, his superior. Uh, he's great. Uh, we get, uh, who else do we get? Oh, and we get, um, uh, ice pick, uh, what was his name? Val Kilmer. Uh, yeah, we get Val Kilmer from the first one. Uh, he comes back, he has a cameo and it's a really sweet scene. It's a really touching scene. Uh, or not ice pick, uh, Iceman. Yeah. Uh, 
and it's a really sweet scene between him and Maverick about kind of just, cause you know, he's, uh, he's kind of, he's having some health issues. He can barely speak. And, you know, Maverick comes to kind of just see him one last time uh, before it's too late, you know, and, and just to chat with him and, and hang out with him before, yeah, before, it, uh, he may not, cause he may not have a chance in the future. So he goes to see him and, uh, it's a really touching scene. It's a really sweet scene. And, uh, but yeah, I just, I think that this movie, and, and I know, I guess maybe it's not fair to say that it's better because it does this, but I mean, it, it, it does have the advantage, I guess, of, of, uh, being 36 years in the future from the original Top Gun. But I think this movie has better cinematography. I think the plot's a little tighter. Uh, the soundtrack's really great. It has a really great original song from, uh, uh, Lady Gaga. What's the name of the song? Let me look. Um, it was, oh, Hold My Hand. Yeah. Uh, Lady Gaga. That's a great song. Um, I think it was played during the credits too. It plays in the movie, I think once or twice and it's played in the credits. Oh, and then, uh, I Ain't Worried by One Republic was a good one. I liked Hold My Hand a little better, but but yeah, it's, you know, some great original songs. And then of course you have, cause you can't have a Top Gun movie without having the song Danger Zone somewhere in there, but it's, uh, Kenny Loggins Danger Zone is, is in the, uh, movie and the original Top Gun anthem, you know, which was from the soundtrack of the first movie is, uh, is present in this one as well. But yeah, on top of the soundtrack being probably a little better, uh, especially with that, that one single from Lady Gaga or that one song. Uh, the cinematography, the, you know, that's even better. Uh, I really like the fact that they had the cameras actually in the planes and they actually flew the planes up in the air. Like they were actually flying and filming them in the air. Like they had the cameras in the, like, like somehow attached to the window or somewhere in the plane with them while they were flying the plane. And, you know, because technology, the technology to film has advanced so much since 86, they were able to do that. And it, and it just makes you feel like you're actually in the plane flying with Maverick and, and rooster and, and all the other top gun, uh, soon to be graduates, you know, uh, and you know, they, uh, and, and the graduates themselves do a pretty good job too. Uh, Danny Ramirez is fanboy, Greg Tarzan Davis is coyote, uh, Jay Ellis as uh, payback, uh, who was the, the one girl? She, she did a good job. Um, let me look. Oh, Monica, Monica Barbo, Barbaro, Barbaro, sorry. Monica Barbaro as Phoenix. Uh, I think she was my favorite other than Rooster of the, the Top Gun soon to be graduates. You know, she, she, she did a really good job. Uh, she was, she, I mean, you know, she was kind of, she had like a, a laid back tone to her, but she kind of also had this like, Hey, look, she kind of had a seriousness to her when she needed to be. She's like, Hey, look, we got to get this shit done. Let's focus boys. You know, she was kind of like the, the, the other than Maverick, she was kind of like the, the leader of the group in a way. Uh, and I, and I liked that. I thought that was cool. Um, or she was one of the, or she, she, when, when, uh, push came to shove, she kind of stepped up and became a leader type for the group, uh, which I, I liked. Uh, but yeah. And uh, and I just liked the story. I thought the story was a little more tightly woven, a little better told or a little more, yeah, more well told than the first one. Uh, 
And yeah, I just, uh, you know, and I think that's great when you could say that about any sequel. Uh, I know I'm kind of repeating myself with some of some of what I'm saying about these movies uh, on the list. But yeah, I, I think it's a sequel that that is not only as good as the first one, but it is even better than the first one. And um, I wouldn't mind if they made a third one, but hopefully they don't take 36 years to make it. <laughs> um, oh, and also, it is the highest grossing film of 2022. Uh, the second film released since the pandemic to gross a billion dollars. It's the highest grossing film of Tom Cruise's career, and it is it has grossed $1.488 billion worldwide. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, at the very least, uh, you can kind of, with, with all that's been said about the movie, and if you've seen it, you know, it's it's easy to see why this movie grossed how much it did, and, and it's easy to see why Tom Cruise waited for this to... to be able to be released in theaters. He he wanted to make sure people saw this because it was kind of like an original, or not an original, but it was like a an old school blockbuster type movie with no super. And not that I have problem with superheroes, but you know, no superheroes, just good old fashioned, you know, kind of emotional, you know, uh, character driven blockbuster with real people and you know just going through real shit, going through kind of depression and you know pushing themselves to, be, to, to become better. And, and you know, it, it's just, it's kind of inspiring and it was just it really great sequel, really great movie. And yeah, uh, that's why I think Top Gun Maverick deserves the number six spot. All right. So, uh, I think we're over an hour now. This is probably going to be my longest, uh, episode ever, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we're now officially halfway through the list. So, uh, Let's move on to number five. And at number five, we have Black Panther Wakanda Forever, or Black Panther 2. Now, I was uh, looking forward to this movie, as were a lot of people, uh, for several reasons. Uh, one, because uh, I loved the first Black Panther. Uh, I thought, I mean, because we technically saw him, his introduction into the MCU was in uh, the third Captain America movie, Civil War. But his uh, his first solo movie was 2018's Black Panther, uh, which was, you know, just like two months uh, away, which was two months before Avengers Infinity War. Uh, Infinity War, sorry. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, uh, Chadwick Boseman had been in, uh, you know, he was in Civil War, then he had a solo film, then Infinity War, and then Endgame. And, uh, you know, everyone loved him as the character in the first one, and uh, they were excited for the future of this character and seeing how he'd integrate with the rest of the Avengers. And uh, for the movies that he was in and the screen time that he had with uh, the other characters, uh, he did a great job interacting with them. Uh, unfortunately, though, as I mean, if, most of you, if not all of you know, uh, in August of 2020, he uh, tried with Bozeman, uh, T'Challa, Black Panther, passed away uh, from colon cancer. He was battling colon cancer for a few years at that point. Uh, the entirety of the time that he, from the minute he started, and it may have been before he started working, uh, you know, uh, with the, in the MCU, but, but from the moment he first showed up in Civil War to, you know, August 2020, uh, which I'm assuming he was maybe filming some scenes for Black Panther 2, 
but you know, uh, all the way up until then, he was battling colon cancer, you know, and unfortunately, uh, cancer won and it took him, uh, too soon from us. Uh, and you know, of course that kind of, uh, had, you know, disrupted, uh, and, and I'm assuming ch- greatly changed the story of Black Panther 2 when that happened. Uh, it sucks. We lost him. Uh, he was a great actor, uh, at least from what I've seen, what I saw of him in, in, uh, the black, in the MCU, you know, um, I, I haven't seen any of his other movies, but they, if they're as good as his performance as T'Challa was, then, you know, they've got to be really good or pretty good, you know, but, uh, yeah, unfortunately he passed away two years ago and, so everyone, not only were they looking forward to this movie because it was the sequel to Black, to the first one, which a lot of people loved, um, but they were also curious to see who was going to pick up the mantle or take the mantle of Black Panther. Was it going to be his uh, T'Challa's younger sister, Shuri? Was it going to be Okoye? Was it going to be M'Baku? You know, was it going to be someone new that we hadn't met? Uh, you know, we it was all up in it was all uh, speculation at that point. Um, and, uh, essentially the movie does, uh, follow that premise, uh, because they actually write it. And, and also people were wondering how they were going to write. They were also wondering, uh, if no one else was going to take up the mantle of Black Panther, were they going to keep T'Challa around and just recast him? Uh, and I kind of, uh, I mean, I get why some people might be like, no, just recast him or why people were upset that they didn't recast him, but I do kind of appreciate the fact that because the actor who played the character in real life died, I appreciate the fact that they are still, you know, they still picked a new person to uh, take up the mantle of Black Panther, but they still killed off the character in the MCU. You know, because it does kind of give the MCU stakes, you know, because we've had some, we've had characters die in the MCU before, but but the characters have never, it's never been, because the actor in real life died that portrayed them, you know? Uh, so, you know, this, this hits different. This is, uh, different, you know, uncharted territory. Um, so, you know, and so, yeah, a lot of different factors going in, but, uh, to the movie and, uh, people were wondering, oh, okay, was it going to be any good, you know, because of them having to, you know, rewrite the script and, and change it, uh, due to uh, Chadwick's death. And I think it, uh, worked out really well. Uh, like I said, uh, the the plot of the movie is essentially, uh, you know, T'Challa dies uh, of an undisclosed illness. They don't, you know, outright state what it is, but I'm assuming it was probably what Chadwick had in real life. Uh, but they don't exactly say what he dies of in the movie, like his character, you know. Uh, but I'd like to imagine that it was, I mean, not like to imagine, but I believe it was probably what killed Chadwick, unfortunately, in real life. It was probably colon cancer. But yeah, uh, T'Challa dies, and of course, uh, Wakanda, you know, is is struggling to, uh, you know, just pick up uh, where they left off, you know. Like, they're like, okay, well, I guess we need a new Black Panther. We gotta still, you know, every, you know, we're still uh, new to the world. Like, everyone is just finding out about our existence, and now... The fact that we don't have a leader, you know, people are gonna kind of come in and and think they can just take over. We got to pick a new, we got to pick a new king, and we got to pick a new Black Panther fast. And uh, unfortunately for them, a new, uh, not one of the nations that are already like revealed to the world, you know, <laughs> none of the, uh, none of the other nations 
that are, you know, known to everyone decide to invade. Well, I mean, they kind of do, but, but I mean, that's quickly dealt with, with the Dora Milaje. Uh, but a new nation that no one knows about that lives underwater. Uh, it's the MCU's version of the Atlanteans. Uh, however, they changed them up a little bit from the comics and they're now the Tolokans. Um, and I, I kind of like what they did with them, but, uh, but you know, they, they find out, oh, okay, there's this nation that no one knows about. And for good reason, because, uh, all the nations that cross paths with cross paths with the Tolokans don't live to tell the tale. Uh, so that's why no one knows, no one's become aware of their, or been aware of their existence until, uh, their leader, um, uh, Namor, Prince Namor, uh, crosses paths with, uh, Shuri and, uh, her mother. And he's like, okay, look, uh, I need, uh, some vibranium or, you know, I want to, you know, I don't get why you guys revealed yourselves to the world. We didn't do that. Uh, you know, we, we had a good thing going. Uh, we both did, but you know, you revealed yourself to the world and that was pretty stupid of you. But uh, there's some vibranium. He's like, I'm going to cut to the chase. There's some vibranium that's in the ocean. People are trying to, you know, think they can claim it, but it's in our territory. Uh, and apparently there was a scientist that built a machine that can detect vibranium. So I need you. I'm going to make a deal with you. If you brain her to me and let me kill her, then we'll, we'll be on good terms. You know, I, 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 we might even become allies. But if you don't, well, that's going to be a problem. We're going to go to war. And you don't want that, do you? And of course, they don't hand over, you know, they find the scientist, uh, Riri Williams, played by Dominique Thorne, who does a pretty good job. Uh, of course, they uh, don't do that. And uh, war falls upon Wakanda. Uh, or Yeah, war, war uh, breaks out between the Wakandans and the Tolokans. And, uh, and yeah, so... The movie I thought was really good. Uh, again, this is the last sequel on the list, so this is the last time you'll you guys will hear me say this. But uh, it does what any good sequel should do, which is continue the story of the first one. You know, uh, throw some new characters into the mix, uh, but change things up. Uh, don't you know? Uh, it, it does a good job at making sure it doesn't tell the same exact story beat for beat as the first one. And all the new characters that are that are uh, added to this movie, which there aren't a, a whole lot of new characters, but uh, Riri Williams, the scientist, uh, also known as Ironheart, uh, they set her up in this movie because she's, you know, they, they established her in this movie because she's going to have her own show, uh, I believe, next year on Disney+. And I guess they just thought, well, you know, this uh, they found a good way to, in this story, to integrate her into the MCU, uh, to kind of, I guess, you know, let audiences, uh, be a little bit more familiar with the character before her show, you know, just kind of like, uh, yeah, just introduce her and and let the audiences get to know her a little bit more before her own show comes out, which I kind of liked, you know, I like when they do that when they, cause they did that with the T'Challa with Black Panther in uh, civil war, you know? So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and she was a neat addition. Uh, and then of course we have, uh, the uh, Tanakh Huerta Mejia, I am probably butchering the shit out of his name, 
Uh, but he plays uh, the villain Namor, and he's one of probably the MCU's greatest villains because he's he's very... I mean, you know, he's not just a, a one-note villain. I mean, like, he's got some depth to him, and, you know, when we find out his backstory about how he's, you know, kind of half-human and how he came to be, and, you know, the tragedy of his people, you kind of get why he's so protective and secretive of, of his... Uh, of his people, you know, and, and of his, uh, uh, kingdom, his underwater kingdom. And, uh, and I liked the kind of friendship he had with Shuri. Uh, and then of course, you know, circumstances, you know, kind of put a, a stop to their friendship and then they kind of end up going to war, but they kind of patch things, they, they kind of patch things up in the end. And, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it was, a they had a very interesting dynamic, the two of them. Uh, and of course, you know, the returning characters, uh, obviously with Chadwick gone, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, I mean, not, sorry, not, well, she does, but Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri, uh, T'Challa's younger sister, she has a lot more to do in this movie. She definitely steps up, uh, in terms of, you know, her acting abilities and, you know, what, what she's shown, uh, previously in the previous movies. And I think she does a great job. Uh, of course, Lupita Nyong'o, she comes back cause she was, uh, Black Panther, or she was T'Challa's love interest in the first one. Uh, she comes back uh, as uh, Nakia. She was great. Denai Guerrero as Okoye. Winston Duke as M'Baku. You know, all the uh, all these characters are back, and they all do a great job. Oh, and Angela Bassett as uh, uh, Ramonda. I mean, Ramonda. Ramonda, who's T'Challa and Shuri's mother, does a great job. Uh, and then we even get cameos, or kind of cameos, we get, uh, you know, Martin Freeman back as Everett Ross and Julie Louis-Dreyfus as Valentina, who, you know, she was introduced in the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So it's kind of cool to get them in, and I don't know if their subplot was entirely necessary, but I did appreciate it. But, you know, I mean, it is setting up like Thunderbolts, you know, uh, a movie further down the line in the MCU, so I guess it's not too bad. Uh, the movie was a little longer than I thought it would be, but at the same time, kind of like, uh, I'm going to, uh, compare this to Babylon in terms of the runtime. I didn't really mind it. I was enjoying it. And I mean, there wasn't any point in the movie where I was bored. So, you know, I'd call that a win. Uh, and there's only one post credit scene in the movie and I liked it. I thought it was very touching and sweet. And I'm curious to see with what they did with that, where they're going to take that. Because uh, it involves a certain character's son. And I guess I kind of spoiled that. <laughs> if through context clues, you guys probably are like, oh, I know who that who that is. Uh, but it, it involves uh, the son of a certain character. And I'm like, oh, okay. I wonder where they're going to go with this uh, in the future. So, But who knows? Uh, oh, and I will say the reason why this is my favorite MCU, at least movie, of this year. Because... Uh, in terms of, like, the series and the specials, uh, Werewolf by Night, The Guardian's Holiday Special, and Moon Knight were all fantastic. And I like She-Hulk, too. Uh, but I think the reason why this is my favorite Marvel movie of this year, uh, or a favorite MCU movie, is because, uh, while I liked Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder, I appreciate that this one was a little bit more serious. Uh, like, there were jokes, uh, throughout, but most of the jokes were involved Riri Williams, who was kind of the comedic relief of the movie. And there were jokes from some of the other characters, but for the most part, the tone of the movie 
was more serious than those previous two movies that we got this year, especially Thor Love and Thunder, which even though I, I enjoyed Thor Love and Thunder, I, you know, I was like, well, it's a little more jokey than Ragnarok. It's a little more goofy. But, you know, I like that this one was more serious. It felt like the stakes were a little bit higher because, you know, it's like the fate of Wakanda's at stake. And then, you know, throwing this whole other nation into the mix, it's like, oh, what's going to happen with them, you know? Uh, but yeah, so I, I liked the movie. Uh, I thought it was a really good sequel. Uh, acting was great. Yeah, loved it all around. Uh, and I can't wait to see what they do with the third one, if they make a third one, or what they do with these characters going forward, especially Namor, because he's one of the few, and I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but he's one of the few MCU uh, villains to not die after his first movie, (laughs) especially because at the end of Black Panther, Killmonger died, and it's like, oh man, I liked Killmonger, he was kind of a cool villain, but I'm happy that Namor didn't die, and I'm interested to see what they do with him, uh, in the future, so... Uh, but yeah, now let's move on to number four. And at number four, we have the Bob's Burgers movie. Now, of course, I had to put at least one animated movie on the list. You know me, I love animation. Uh, and I really wanted to put another one on the list too, but I wasn't quite sure where it would go. And ultimately, I only chose one, and I figured between the two of them, I, I couldn't not put this one on the list. Uh, and you know, there's a few reasons why, uh, one reason is because it's a 2d animated movie and we hardly get any of those nowadays. I mean, I could count on like one hand, the number of movie, the number of 2d animated movies we've gotten in the last 15 years that were released, you know, theatrically. And, uh, you know, it was, it's, it's refreshing to see a 2d animated movie on the big screen, uh, because, you know, CGI looks great on the big screen, and so does stop motion. And I feel like we get more stop motion movies released theatrically than we do 2D animated movies, uh, which is crazy. Uh, but, you know, it's it's uh, the budget, you know, given a movie-sized budget, 2D animation looks really great too. And uh, it's a shame we don't get more uh, 2D animated movies released theatrically. But thankfully, we got this uh, little gem right here. And... Uh, yeah, I thought it was really great. I mean, because uh, uh, Lauren Bouchard, uh, probably butchering his name, <laughs> but the creator of Bob's Burgers, you know, uh, you know, they had a movie, or he had a movie uh, about the show in the works for a few years, and it was supposed to come out in 2020, but the pandemic delayed the movie, and they ended up releasing it uh, Memorial Day weekend, uh, May 27th <laughs> of this year. And, uh, which also coincidentally was the same day that Top Gun Maverick came out. And, uh, needless to say that, uh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, earned a lot more that weekend and overall at the box office than Bob's Burgers or the Bob's Burgers movie did. But because, not that I didn't want to see Top Gun Maverick, but because I loved Bob's Burgers and I had just recently caught up with the show or where the show had ended at that point, which was like season 12. I'm like, you know what, Bob's Burgers, you've got top priority, you've got top priority um, today, (laughs) and I went to go see it opening night, but uh, but yeah, so if you don't know what the show's about, I'll tell you about it, so it's been on for 11 years now, it's a Fox animated, adult animated show, and it's uh, about Bob, this guy named Bob, his wife Linda, and their three kids, Tina, Jean, and Louise, all uh, running 
a burger restaurant, which they happen to live above as well. Uh, and they run and operate this burger restaurant uh, not too far from a beachside amusement park and uh, called Wonder Wharf. And uh, that's the plot. And that's basically the plot of this... Uh, that's basically the plot of this movie, too. Uh, because in the show... Yeah, it's ba- the movie. I mean, it it is. Uh, it does what any movie based on a TV show should do. It does expand the plot. It, it justifies the movie uh, runtime. You know, it justifies. Oh, uh, you turn the show into a movie. Okay, uh, it justifies turning the show into a movie. Uh, but it it does the movie does at the same time feel like an episode of the show. Uh, but you know, not that's not a bad thing. But uh, the movie is essentially uh, about them having to save the restaurant because Bob and Linda uh, go to the bank and tell them, you know, they're they're trying to get an extension on their loan, and uh, by giving their uh, the the not the owner of the bank but like their bank teller uh, a burger, thinking, oh well, you know, maybe <laughs> he'll let maybe maybe he'll give us an extension if we give him some some of our one of our you know famous burgers. Uh, of course he doesn't. He tells them you've got seven days to pay it or we're, you know, uh, foreclosing on the restaurant. Uh, and of course, you know, Bob has one of his usual panic attacks. Uh, <laughs> and you know, so they got to kind of spend the summer, uh, or the next, well, week, uh, summer, you know, school just got out. The kids, uh, you know, are having to help around the restaurant. They got to figure out, okay, we've got one week. How are we going to you know, get out of this mess again, you know, because they, they've kind of been in this mess before, but this time it feels like more severe, you know, it feels like, oh, well, this might be the, the end of the restaurant. And of course, I mean, you know, it, there's always that, there's always that thought in the back of your head. You're like, well, it's not, it, it, they'll find a way, you know, but they do, the movie does do a good job at kind of uh, making you feel like, oh, this could actually be it for the family and for the restaurant. Uh, but you know, uh, unfortunately for them, a huge sinkhole, uh, you know, bur- uh, <laughs> like yeah, the road caves in in front of their restaurant and a huge sinkhole appears, uh, causing, you know, foot traffic to not really be able to get through to the door uh, of the restaurant. And on top of that, they find that uh, there's a dead body under the road, you know, or under the, you know, like way underneath the concrete and all that. So they, the kids try to solve the mystery of the murder, thinking, oh, maybe we can uh, save the restaurant this way. And then Bob and Linda, along with their friend and handyman, Tan- uh, Tandy, uh, Teddy, uh, sell burgers at the wharf. And there's a little bit more to it, I mean, but that's kind of the basic plot. Uh, so yeah, I mean, overall, the movie, if you love the show, I'll say this, if you love the show, you're going to love the movie. It's more of what you love from the show. Uh, it's a longer episode of the show, but you know, it, it feels, uh, justified being a movie like, uh, you know, with every show that gets turned into a movie, they try to be, go bigger and have a grander plot than something you'd see in the show. And I feel like they do that for the most part, even though this is kind of similar to a plot that we saw in the show where, uh, Mr. Fish Oder's brother, Felix, tries to, uh, take over the restaurant, (laughs) like the restaurant's going under and then, uh, yeah, Felix tries to, uh, 
kill his brother and Bob so he can take over the restaurant and, and build something there. But they, they do a little bit enough different with it to where it doesn't feel like a carbon copy of that episode. Which, by the way, that's a great episode. It's the season four finale uh, if you haven't seen it. Although if you've seen the show, you've probably seen that episode. But yeah, it's a great episode. And I think it was Felix's first appearance in the show, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, but yeah. Uh, and the villain, there was a nice twist as to who the villain was. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe upon retrospect, it was a little obvious because... Calvin and Felix had been in the show for so long, you're like, well, it's not going to be them. I mean, because they're like almost, they're not series regulars, but they're big enough recurring characters to where it would be weird if they were the villains. But but it was kind of neat who the villain turned out to be. Uh, not to mention, the songs, uh, it's not a great musical per se, but I mean, I do like the songs in there. I will say my favorite one has to be the song that the Carnies end up singing when Tina, Jean, and Louise uh, are out investigating uh, who the uh, who the body was that they found underneath the uh, or who they found in the sinkhole when they're investigating the body, and the Carnies break out into song about, "Oh yeah, we know this guy," and, and they have this whole choreographed dance number and these ridiculous dances. But but it's great. That's probably the best uh, number in the in the movie, and. I say it's a musical, but it's not really chock full of too many numbers. I mean, there's like maybe three, four songs total. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they're not bad. Uh, but that that Carney song is, is the best song uh, in the movie. Uh, but on top of the beautiful animation, because the characters, you know, move way more fluidly and, and the backgrounds are way more detailed than they would be in your average episode of the show. But on top of the animation being great, and the songs being decent, you know, uh, and the plot being a nice extension of what you'd see in the show, but also grander in scale to justify it being a movie, you know. Uh, the humor is, is just as great as the show. Uh, and the voice acting is great as well. I mean, you got H. John Benjamin as Bob, Zach Galifianakis as, uh, and Kevin Klein as, as Felix and Calvin Fishoder. <laughs> who anytime the who anytime the two of their the, those two characters share a scene it's it's always going to be hilarious. Uh Christian Shaw's Louise, John Roberts is uh or Eugene Merman is um Gene and of course you have Dan Mintz as Tina. Um uh, and then Larry Murphy, or no no wait, my bad. Larry Murphy is Tina and Dan Mintz as Linda. And uh and then Teddy is uh John Roberts. Uh, wait a minute. What? Sorry, my bad. John Roberts is Linda. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got the names mixed up. Uh, Dan Mintz is Tina. And then... Uh, and then... Larry Murphy is... Is... Uh, uh, Teddy. Yeah, sorry. I, I didn't mean... I, I, my apologies for any Bob's Burgers fans. I got the names mixed up. Uh, but yeah, so the voice acting from everyone is great. Um, and unfortunately, though, because it came out the same week, which I don't know who the genius was that thought, oh, let's put this up on the same, let, let's let's release this on the same weekend as Top Gun Maverick. I, I don't know who thought that was a good idea, but obviously it wasn't a good idea because I don't know how much the movie would have made anyway because it wasn't promoted that much. But I feel like it would have done a little bit better than grossing... $34.2 million against a $38 million budget had they not released it that same weekend as Top Gun Maverick. But, you know, 
the theater I went to go see it in opening night had a, a decent amount of people in it, even though it wasn't chock full of people. Uh, and they were all laughing their asses off at, at I mean, not, maybe not as consistently and not every joke had everyone laughing consistently, you know. Uh, but I mean, there were people laughing at every joke. Uh, for the most part, and more, and there were more jokes that were hits rather than like misses, you know, and even the jokes that were maybe considered misses, there were people that laughed at them, you know, just maybe not what it just probably wasn't the entire uh, theater of people that you know that were in there, but uh, but yeah, I enjoyed the movie, uh, and it was nice to see a two D movie in theaters again, especially one based on a TV show. It's always nice, and uh, the show still got it because I've been watching this uh, current season, season 13, and, uh, it's still just as funny as ever, so, uh, all right, we're coming up on the last three, and we're well over an hour (laughs) into this podcast, uh, yeah, this is definitely gonna be my longest episode, uh, but yeah, so with that being said, let's move on to number three. Coming up at number three, we have Spirited, uh, now this movie, uh, is a Christmas movie, and it was released on November 18th of this year. Uh, I reviewed it a uh, couple, well, a little over a month ago. And uh, yeah, I when I first watched it, because uh, I was a little late to it, I, I ended up watching it uh, December 3rd, which was a Saturday, a few weeks later. Like, yeah, two weeks later. And uh, I was like, I wish I had watched this uh, a couple weeks ago, because I'm like, holy shit, I really love this movie. <laughs> Uh, but if you don't know what this movie's about, if you haven't seen it, uh, well, it sucks that you haven't seen it because it's a Christmas movie, like I said, and Christmas is over, but you know, I mean, it's not like it won't still be on Apple TV plus, and it's not like you can't watch Christmas stuff out of season. So, but, uh, but you know, there's something a little bit more special about watching Christmas specials and movies during the holiday season, you know, but, but anyway, uh, but yeah, so the movie, if, you're, if you don't know what Spirited is about, it's essentially uh, kind of a retelling of A Christmas Carol, but it's a unique spin on it. Like it's a little, because, you know, I mean, how many versions of A Christmas Carol can, are there, you know, already, that are already out there? Like there, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of versions, uh, and every, everyone has their own version almost, it seems like, you know, uh, but, you know, but this movie kind of takes a, uh, puts a unique spin on it. And it's like, hey, what if the, what if uh, instead of just uh, ghosting, or not ghosting, but what if just instead of haunting one guy and it's just Scrooge, because most of the time it's just the retelling of the original where, you know, three ghosts, uh, well, four counting Jacob Marley, uh, but Jacob Marley and the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, or yet to come, haunt Scrooge and show him the error of his ways, and by the end of the night, and, you know, when he wakes up for Christmas morning, or when he wakes up on Christmas morning, he becomes a better person, because he's seen how shitty of a person he's been. Um, but this movie, instead of it just being Scrooge's story, it's a completely new person's story. It's, uh, essentially the ghost of Christmas present, uh, past and yet to come, or future, uh, and Jacob Marley all run a company in the afterlife. And their job is essentially every Christmas they or what's well, a year yearly process, but uh or it takes a, a year to, you know, uh 
get to to get everything set in motion. But every year they pick a new person to Scrooge. They pick a new person to haunt and turn into a better person uh, on Christmas Day. And uh, in the film, uh, uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present decides they end up uh, deciding, uh, you know, with his recommendation uh, on a man who's deemed unredeemable, or who, you know, he's he's uh, listed as unredeemable, but uh, a man named Clint Briggs. And, uh, you know, the Ghost of Christmas Present, played by Will Ferrell, has to teach Clint, uh, played by Ryan Reynolds, you know, uh, how kind of shitty of a person he's been, and, you know, show him the error of his ways, and, you know, like Scrooge, uh, hopefully turn him into a better person by Christmas Day. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of like A Christmas Carol, but, you know, with a new person and some, uh, you know, just a unique concept, uh, you know, a, a unique take on the concept of, you know, the, the ghosts, because instead of it just being the four of them, uh, it's like a whole company in the afterlife. Like it's Jacob Marley and the three ghosts, uh, and they have like a whole, uh, production team almost like a whole crew, uh, helping them put together. Uh, and, and it's funny too, because like, uh, you know, at, at certain points in the movie, uh, present, uh, the ghost of Christmas present, uh, you know, like radios in, oh, I say radios in, but he's like talking on a Bluetooth. He calls in to, uh, the production team and he's like, Hey, can, uh, can we change the scenery here? And then like, you'll see like two people from the, uh, you'll see two workers from, from the afterlife from the company, like mo- moving the furniture in the background, almost like, a, uh, like it's a play. Uh, <laughs> almost like it's, it's, uh, it's as if we, the audience were watching a play taking place, you know? And, uh, I just thought it was funny, like, they, like, how, how much of a job it's treated like, you know, like, it's like, like, it, it literally takes hundreds of them to orchestrate this whole, like, it takes a year, and it takes hundreds of these ghosts in the afterlife to, to orchestrate this, uh, you know, and pull off this plan of, uh, bettering a, a human being, like, changing a person for the better, and, uh, I, I really liked that, and, but not only that, I mean, I, the acting from everyone is great. I loved, uh, the dynamic between present and Clint, like Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds together. You'd think that those would too, be too big of clashing personalities, or you'd think those personalities would be too big, like they'd be clashing all the time, but, but they balance each other out pretty well. And they both like have some funny moments together and funny lines, uh, you know, throughout. And, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, and what I like too, is that, you know, you don't cast someone like Ryan Reynolds uh, if you don't want the audience to kind of like him. Like, uh, we start off, and yes, Clint's an asshole, but with it, with him being played by Ryan Reynolds, or with his character being played by Ryan Reynolds, you like him enough at the beginning to want to root for him to become better, while still acknowledging that, yes, he is kind of a shitty person right now, but there's enough of him, there's enough likability in him and you know for you to recognize that okay well I I I sympathize with you enough especially when we get into his backstory uh you know it's like I sympathize with you enough and I like you just enough you're char- just charismatic enough for me to be like okay I want to see you change for the better um and of course you know like Scrooge he does kind of uh Clint does have a kind of tragic backstory that caused him to be 
you know, that led him down the path to being the man who he is in the present. And, uh, and, you know, it's just, it was really interesting to, to see his backstory. And it was sad too, how, you know, what happened with his family and his childhood and, and, uh, his relationships with his, his siblings and all that. And, uh, and I won't go into it. Uh, again, I know I said I'd go into spoilers for some of these movies. I feel like I haven't gone into many spoilers really, but, but, uh, but yeah, watch the movie. It's, 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 uh, it's sad, but it's kind of heartwarming in some areas of that, you know, it's hard, it's a, it has a heartwarming resolution in terms, uh, in regards to like the, the siblings, uh, his, uh, Clint's siblings, uh, even though it kind of starts off kind of sad, it has a good resolution to it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, on top of, yeah, the acting and the unique twist on the story of A Christmas Carol, the songs are fantastic. Like, it's a musical. There's, like, maybe 10, 12 songs crammed into this thing. And I say crammed into it. It's two hours. So, I mean, they're not really long songs, and the movie's long enough to have this many songs. But, uh, but you know, I mean, it, it's, the, yeah, there are so many songs in this movie, and each one is fantastic. Uh... And which is, you know, in my opinion, if you're going to make a musical, each song should be good. And none none of them, I I have grown tired of none of them. In fact, I love all of them so much that I've listened to the soundtrack, which I haven't listened to in a few days because Christmas is over. But, uh, but, you know, I've listened to the soundtrack ever since I watched the movie back in on the 3rd of December. I, I shit you not, I've listened to it probably 20, 30 times, uh, <laughs> from the third all the way to Christmas. I, I listened to it, yeah, that many times, maybe more, I don't know, but I just, I loved every song, there was not a bad one in the bunch, and honestly, like, the dances were well choreographed too, uh, especially, like, the, the tap dancers, they were, they were really on point, uh, and they were just going so, they were so into it, I, I was getting into it, I'm like, oh shit, they're, like, going so hard, you know, and, uh, but it was fantastic, and I honestly loved the song so much that I kind of would like to see uh, see this turned into a play, like a Broadway play. Like, I'd love to see, because it is a musical, I'd love to see this adapted into a stage play, like on Broadway. I, I feel like that it would, it would be, it would work really well. Um, but yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I'd love to see that. And, and, uh, but yeah, so, uh, not trying to ignore the rest of the actors. Octavia Spencer uh, plays this uh, plays Clint's uh, like executive assistant uh, Kimberly. She does a great job, and and her and uh, Will Ferrell's character present have a cute little relationship in the movie. Uh, Sunita Mani plays the ghost of Christmas uh, past, who kind of has like a I, I won't really spoil it to or go go into it too much, but she has kind of like a cute little flirty will they won't they thing going on with uh, Clint. Uh, she has some funny moments. Uh, Patrick Page plays Jacob Marley. Uh, let's see. And Tracy Morgan. Uh, who does Marlo Barkley play? Let me look. Oh, okay, yeah. She plays, uh, Clint's, uh, uh, niece, uh, Ren. Uh, she does a pretty good job. And she actually has another role that she plays. I won't tell you what it is, but you'll be surprised when you see, cause you're like, Oh shit, that's her. I didn't recognize it. You know, that was cool. Uh, and, uh, Tracy Morgan plays the ghost of Christmas yet to come or Christmas future. And you, uh, you know, Tracy Morgan has one of those voices that's immediately recognizable. Like, uh, 
and he doesn't try to disguise his voice or, or, or put on a new voice. Like, as soon as he talks, as soon as the ghost of Christmas Future talked, I'm like, oh, wait, that's Tracy Morgan. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and, uh, but no, he does a great job, and I, I just found it hilarious. Like, I couldn't stop laughing every time the ghost of Christmas Future talked, because I'm like, uh, Tracy Morgan, that's fantastic. Because you don't expect, like, his voice, because, like I said, he's got such a unique standout-ish voice. You didn't expect that voice to come out of uh, future, you know, or really any voice, because, you know, most adaptations of The Ghost of Christmas Future, he either barely talks or doesn't talk at all. So, you know, it was just, <laughs> that, was a, that, was a, that was a nice uh, twist, I guess. A nice, interesting thing to see. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, this is definitely a Christmas classic, at least to me, and it's one I'm going to be watching every year. Um, and I suggest you all do the same if you haven't watched it. Uh, I know it's past Christmas, but honestly, give it a watch. Uh, I mean, you know, instead of having to wait until November (laughs) to, you know, instead of having to wait until next November to watch it, just go ahead and watch it. Uh, so what if it's like a week late, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I I think it's going to be, be a Christmas classic for years to come and, you know, grow more and more popular over the years. And, uh, and yeah, I just had a blast with this movie, and, uh, you know, I, with all the praises I've been saying about it, uh, you'd think it'd be my number one favorite, but there's two movies that I liked better than this one, and we are almost at the finish line, so let's go ahead and, you know, get on with the final two of the list. So, uh, yeah, let's move on to number two. At number two, we have Barbarian. Now, uh, I had to put one horror film on the list uh, because you know this year had some pretty good horror movies, and it was kind of a uh, it was kind of a tough decision because I really enjoyed the Black Phone. I thought Ethan Hawke did a great job uh, as, in his role as the grabber. Um, I loved uh, Smile. I thought it was a unique, creepy kind of horror movie. You know. Um, with a kind of sad, shitty ending. <laughs> I mean, shitty in terms of, like, what happened with the characters, you know. But, uh, but you know, after I saw this one and, you know, thinking about it, I'm like, ah, I gotta, I think this one, you know, I like this one just a little bit more than those two. Uh, and the reason why is because, well, there's a few reasons. But uh, I really, let me, okay, so let me briefly go into what the, the plot of the movie is. So the plot of the movie is it's basically, uh, about this woman played by Georgina Campbell, uh, named Tess, uh, Tess Marshall. She's, uh, you know, about to, she's interviewing for this job in Detroit. Uh, and she is staying the night at an Airbnb. Uh, unfortunately for her though, uh, a dude named Keith played by Bill Skarsgård, who, pretty much all of you probably know is Pennywise, uh, <laughs> is, uh, renting the, uh, house for the night too. And obviously this is, you know, they're, they're both weirded out, uh, probably Tess more than Keith, but they're both like, wait, we're double booked the hell, you know? And, uh, you know, it's kind of weird cause Tess was like, okay, this, I scheduled this, you know, Airbnb for tonight. And he's like, well, I had it, you know, tonight too. Uh, so Keith's like, okay, well, why don't you just come in and we'll call these people and see what the problem is. 
unfortunately for them, though, uh, they find something dark and disturbing about the basement. Uh, and they have to figure out what the hell is living under the basement and what, why the hell, you know, what the hell happened down there, who excavated the basement and what's down there, if anything. Uh, and if there is anything down there, is it dangerous? And, uh, you know, and circumstances prevent them both from leaving, uh, because, you know, if you watch the trailer, you, you're probably thinking to yourself or probably saying out loud, you idiots leave the house, you know, but, uh, (laughs) and I guess when you watch the movie, you're kind of thinking that too, but, but they do a good job, good enough job at setting it up to where you're like, okay, they, they can't leave one of the, they, they can't really exactly just leave, you know, they kind of, you know, they, they establish a good enough reason as to why they don't just say, screw this, I'm out of here, you know, but, uh, yeah, and I, I'd love to tell you more, but I don't really want to get into spoilers that much, uh, or I'm gonna, you know, try not to get into spoilers, they're, uh, uh, okay, I may get into slight spoilers, but one thing I love about the movie, or there's a lot of things I love about the movie, uh, when I saw the trailer for this uh, before the Black Phone started, because uh, I, when I went to go see the Black Phone, this trailer uh, uh, premiered, or premiered, this trailer was one of the few uh, that aired, or what, aired, you know what I mean, this trailer was one of the few that preceded the Black Phone, and, uh, and I remember watching it, because I didn't, unlike most of the trailers I watch, I didn't uh, watch this on YouTube a few days before, like, me watching this trailer in the theater was the first time I saw it. And when I watched it, I'm like, oh shit, this looks really good. Like I was kind of creeped out and I was like, what the hell is going on? And that was like the only trailer for the movie. And there's just something special about a movie having one trailer that doesn't like tell you a whole lot. Like you have no idea what some of you probably do, but it's it you have no idea how like refreshing it is to just have a uh, one trailer for a movie and it not reveal the whole freaking movie to you and uh and this movie and and that trailer was great because like it, it i didn't know what to expect going in like i thought i had an idea of what was going to happen and then uh really i mean i throughout the whole movie but especially like that after that first 30 minutes the movie said oh you think you know it's going to happen nope and just did something that kind of left me sad and pissed off. Uh, I mean, still liking the movie, but like, I'll say this, one of the characters dies. I'm not going to say who it is because it's, there's more than just, uh, there's more than just, uh, Tess and, uh, Keith in this movie, but one of the characters dies and I've never been so pissed off and sad about a character's death. Uh, I've never been as sad and pissed off at a character's death as much, uh, since, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, when, when Howard shot Emmett in the face, uh, like, I was like, you son of a bitch, like, when, uh, like, it, when, in 10 Cloverfield Lane, when Howard shot Emmett, I'm like, you son of a bitch, I want to kill you, like, I, I was legitimately pissed off at a character that could not speak back to me, like, I, like, that rarely happens where I'm so invested in characters, like, to that point where if one of them dies, I'm like, fuck you, you know, uh, pardon my French, but like, I was, I was legitimately that pissed and I wasn't quite that pissed maybe with this character. Uh, 
it, but it was close. Like I was like, ah, shit. Like what the hell? And uh, like I was so sad because like of of what happened of the previous thirty minutes. We we got to know and like this character, uh, you know, and and like the the potential future that this character could have had with uh another character in the movie <laughs> again like i'm trying i'm trying hard not to 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 say shit about this movie because a, a lot of the fun of watching this movie and i don't know if upon repeat viewings that it'll diminish uh, the fun but part of the fun of watching this movie is going in blind or as blind as possible and and just not knowing what the hell's going to happen next um because you know, it's like when you think you know kind of what's going to happen. Like I said, the movie just flips the script and says, nope. Uh, and it does a fantastic job at that. But like the acting, you know, it's very intense and very creepy. And I won't say who it's on, but there's this uh, great makeup job with uh, uh, a particular creature in the movie. And I was like, holy shit, this looks creepy. Like this, this character, this creature, this looks disturbing, you know? And, uh, the way it moved around and, and kind of spoke in a gravelly voice. I was like, oh shit, this is uh, freaky. Uh, but that was great. Uh, the acting from everyone, Georgina Campbell and Bill Skarsgård killed it as uh, Tess and Keith. And they had like a cute little, uh, uh, you know, once they got to know each other, they had like a cute little, uh, it's, it almost seemed like a relationship was developing. Like it was sweet, you know. And uh, it, it was very sweet watching them go from like, strangers, you know, cautious strangers to friends to, you know, could this become a thing? You know, who knows? But, uh, but yeah. And, and what's crazy too, another thing that's crazy too, again, without going too spoilery, you know, uh, after that like huge character death, uh, in the first 30 minutes, it cuts completely to a new character in a new location, singing this happy, upbeat ass, happy ass song and it's like, okay, what the hell? Where are we at now? And it's it talk about tonal whiplash. Like that was one of the most uh, insane examples of to- yeah tonal whiplash that I've <laughs> that I've ever seen. Um, and I was like, how is how does this guy and the the character uh, is AJ played by Justin Long? Uh, it's like, okay, who is this guy? How does he connect with what's going on back at the Airbnb? And then the way it slowly but surely reveals what he has to do with the Airbnb is like, oh, okay, that's cool. But like for the first like five or so minutes, we're just watching this character, uh, you know, and we, we don't know what the hell is going on with him. Like, what does he have to do with the main story and the way they merged the story? And then there's like a flashback to the Airbnb from like 30 years ago that connects to it's like, okay, what's this? have to do with the present and then it connects to that it's just the way they kind of connect these I guess really that's kind of a story but like the way they connect the two slash three stories together uh the cohesiveness of the movie is great um but the cinematography is great the you know the lighting's great it's there's just a real sense of of horror and unnervingness is that a word unnervingness a real unnerving sense of horror uh in this movie and uh even after you've seen it once, I mean, it, I, I, I guess maybe the only downside I could say is that it might not be quite as disturbing or creepy 
after you've seen it once because, you know, you kind of know what's coming. But, you know, it, it uh, I mean, I, I guess it depends on, on the person watching, you know, I guess it's still, I mean, you know, I've only seen it twice, but like the, it, it was kind of creepy and disturbing for me the second time around too. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what else to say about the movie, but it's a fantastic movie. Uh, Zach Kreger directed it, who, <laughs> funnily enough, was uh, on uh, Wrecked, uh, a show on TBS that I used to watch a lot, that was unfortunately cut short and uh, ended on a cliffhanger, typical. Uh, and he was also part of the Widest Kids You Know, which was like a YouTube channel, I believe, in the 2000s. And the only sketch I've seen from them is uh, the the grapist. Uh, <laughs> which you haven't, if you haven't seen that sketch, just type in the grapist, uh, or, or Zach Kreger or the whitest kids, you know, the grapist, whatever, you know, type in any of those words in, on YouTube and, and just watch that clip. Cause that, that scene kills me every time, but yeah, he wrote and directed this. And I got to say for him being like a more comedic actor, uh, from again, from the, the two things I've seen him in, he did a really good job at making a kind of unnerving horror movie. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, the acting from everyone is great. And, and again, uh, a good thing that horror movie, more horror movies should do is that the main characters don't really make stupid decisions. They make kind of logical in the moment decisions that in the moment makes sense. Uh, you know, and like, and especially even, uh, if you're like, okay, well I wouldn't do this, but it's like, you don't quite know what you would do in this situation. I mean, you know, like, cause your brain is racked, you know, like you're, it's going a hundred miles an hour. You know, I mean, some people might, some people are fight or flight. Some people might, when they see or confront something scary, sometimes they just freeze up. You know, some people don't know what to do, you know, and, and everyone's different and you might think, you know what you're going to do, but then it turns out you do something completely different, you know? But, uh, but yeah, no. So the movie was great. I loved the ending. It was so abrupt and like, oh shit, that just happened. But it kind of ended on a good note, uh, for the most part. Um, um, not for everyone. Some characters die horribly. But uh, I can say that at least for one character, it, things turn out well. Uh, and really, when you're watching a horror movie, you want at least one character, especially the one you like, you want them to survive. And and uh, they kind of do. I won't say who it is, again, because... I'm trying to reveal as little as possible, but, uh, yeah, they, the it, it, it ends on a somewhat satisfying, bittersweet note. Um, and yeah, I mean the movie for it, not having that much mark, uh, marketing and it having, I mean, it had, uh, the budget was small. It was four and a half million dollars, which is almost unheard of in today's, uh, movie making industry. I mean, most movie, I mean, you know, it, that, that's so unheard of to have a movie with that low of a budget, especially a horror movie, you know, but it's so well done. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you can make a movie on a small budget. You can make a good movie on a small budget, like, and, and it, and it, uh, turned out really good. But the fact that it had not really that much marketing, uh, and it had so small of a budget, it made a $45.4 million. So it grossed over its budget. Like it, it, it did pretty well. And, and when you make a movie on a small budget, that's, uh, I mean that, you know, you, uh, more often than not, 
tend to make your money back as opposed to, you know, a $200 million movie. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, well, you have to make like $400 million to gross even uh, and, and make back your profit, you know. But, but yeah, so I just, you know, that's kind of why this one ended up being on my uh, number two because I just, I'm like, wow, all these factor, all these things and elements factoring together for this movie is is so crazy, like the circumstances surrounding the movie. Uh, like for it to turn out as well as it did, I'm like, yeah, this is great. I mean, like, you know, uh, but you know, it was great, but you know, there's one movie I liked even better than this. And, uh, yep, this has gone on long enough. So, (laughs) uh, with that being said, uh, and I've said that a lot too, uh, but without further ado, uh, let's get on, let's move on to the final movie on the top 10 favorite movies list of 2022. My number one pick. And the number one pick for my top 10 favorite movies of 2022 list is The Batman. Um, yeah, I when I first saw this movie back in March, I was like, this is a fantastic uh, superhero movie. And, you know... It, it's, it was just so different from what we have gotten from the DCEU, you know, and, and some of the films in the DCEU I liked a lot, but it was just so refreshing to have like a more grounded, uh, and nothing, and again, okay, I, I should state that there's nothing wrong with sillier kind of, you know, uh, more comedic superhero movies, but it was just refreshing to have a kind of grounded and serious superhero movie that was a DC movie that wasn't too grounded and serious. Like, the the, the movie is dark and, and serious and, and gritty, but it knows kind of when to have fun and kind of crack a few jokes. Uh, more dark, morbid jokes, really, than, than like, you know, random quips. Uh, but, uh, but the movie does a good job at... at uh, at I guess in a way kind of portraying Batman in like the darkest way we've seen him yet. And I don't just mean like lighting wise. I mean like character wise, like this is probably the darkest and probably most unhinged Batman, at least live action Batman that we've uh, seen yet. And, uh, and you know, um, if, if you haven't seen this movie, I'll fill you in on the plot. So basically the plot of this Batman movie uh, is, uh, Batman has just started out. He's been Batman or Bruce Wayne has just started out as Batman. He's been Batman for two years at this point, uh, fighting crime in Gotham city when he stumbles upon the Riddler and, uh, the Riddler's, uh, killing people, uh, and leaving clues behind for Batman to find him. And, uh, Batman along with detective Jim Gordon, uh, and Catwoman, uh, have to, solve this mystery and find out what Riddler is uh, planning exactly and uh, how this will affect the citizens of Gotham and and the town as they know it, um, you know, before before it's too late. And yeah, that's pretty much the plot. Um, and there's more to it, but that's like the, the gist of it. Um, I will say, yeah, this is it's not my favorite Batman movie, but if I had to pick, uh, this would probably be, it's my second favorite, right behind the Dark Knight. 
Um, and I just love kind of what they've, what they did with this, uh, this version of Batman. I, I like that they changed it up a little bit from, uh, what we've seen from like the live action Batman. Uh, cause okay. For the most part, every time we see Batman, he's an older guy who's been at, who's been at, uh, the superhero game for years. But this version of Batman is younger, and he's only been a superhero for two years. So it was kind of cool seeing a a more or less experienced uh, Batman, who's a little bit more unhinged, a little bit more insane, uh, and a little bit more, uh, I guess, aggressive, for lack of a better word. Yeah, he's a, he's he's a little more, he's a lot more aggressive than uh, you know like Ben Affleck or or Christian Bale's Batman. Uh, or bat Batman uh, portrayals, or Batman portrayals, and uh, you know it, it was just interesting watching this uh, Robert Pattinson who does a great job as uh, the character. It was interesting watching him portray this again, like probably the darkest, most unhinged Batman we've seen yet. And uh, I I know some people were complaining that. When he was Bruce Wayne, he just felt like he was Batman. But I kind of like that that he was essentially the same in a way. Uh, and it makes sense really that because it makes sense why he doesn't really distinguish himself that much from the Batman persona when he's out of the costume, when he's just Bruce Wayne, because the movie establishes that he doesn't get out that much. And also he's only been Batman for two years. So he hasn't really built up the, the, he doesn't have the time under his belt to build up, like, kind of establishing himself as a separate persona from, you know, the public, the public's view of, of him as Bruce Wayne, you know, so, I mean, to me, it made sense, you know, like, he, like, this Batman's a little more antisocial, he's a little bit more focused on crime, you know, at fighting crime, and he's only been at he's only been playing this hero character, you know, for two years. So of course, you know, uh, you know, that combined with him not getting out a lot would kind of lead to him not really feeling the need to separate Batman from Bruce Wayne. So, I mean, you know, to, to me, I, I, I kind of liked that take on it, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, on top of, uh, Robert Pattinson, I mean, you've got Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, uh, and of course, you know, as with every iteration of Batman and Catwoman, there's some the flirt flirting going on. There's some romantic chemistry, and uh, and you know, I like the the chemistry they've got going on. I thought they both uh, did a pretty good job uh, at portraying that. Uh, Zoe Kravitz is is gorgeous as well, uh, so <laughs> you know, I I thought she played the part of Catwoman well. Uh, and I liked the any which they're 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 throughout the, they're they're uh, together not romantically but they're uh, together throughout most of the movie so it was cool that you know Batman and uh, Catwoman kind of were a team throughout most of the movie. Uh, Paul Dano is the Riddler, probably the most disturbing version of the Riddler we've ever had uh, because he's like just a ser- he's just a psychotic serial killer who you know, wears like this leather, dark green jacket. Um, and it's like, you know, he, he's, uh, he's got like this muffled voice. 
because he's wearing this like green leather hood uh and uh but he's still but something i kind of thought was funny is that he wears his glasses over his hood like these big thick clear glasses so you can still see the glasses even though he's trying to look more menacing it, it was kind of funny but uh yeah this is probably the most psychotic deranged riddler we've ever seen uh but he does a great job as the character uh jeffrey wright who you might know from westworld uh he plays commissioner gordon uh he did a good job i liked the scenes with him and uh, bruce or him and batman um john taturo plays uh carmen falcone uh he was great uh let's see oh andy circus one of the best alfreds i've ever seen uh <laughs> of all the batman movies and uh and it was nice to see Andy Serkis in a movie where we actually got to see him because other than like, you know, Claw, him as Ulysses Claw and Black Panther, uh, and he was also in Avengers 2 or Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, you know, it was, it was nice to see him again in another movie where we got to fully see him and not, you know, as a CGI character. Because, you know, some of his other bigger roles are, you know, have been as uh, General Snoke in the sequel Star Wars trilogy, uh, Caesar from the Planet of the Apes trilogy, and Gollum from the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit trilogies. Uh, and, you know, I mean, he's a great, you know, uh, character actor. I mean, he's a great actor overall. Uh, and he does great with those characters and the, um, uh, you know, the, he does great like movement, like, I mean, like he really embraces those characters whenever they're like CGI and the characters over him, like when he's doing the motion capture for them, he does great motion capture work for them. Like if you've ever seen the behind the scenes videos of him playing those characters, like he really commits, like he really goes all in, but, uh, but it was cool to see him play like a human character for once where we could see his face and everything. And, uh, and I thought he played a really good Alfred. I, I really enjoyed his take on Alfred and Colin Farrell is the penguin and who's, you know, another villain. Uh, and he does a fantastic job and you would not know it was him. If you just like the makeup job they did on him is, is crazy because, uh, that combined with the accent he's putting on, uh, you wouldn't know it was him unless you looked it up. Uh, because he's just, you know, so the make the, you know, Props to the makeup department for for their work on Colin Farrell. It was fantastic. Um, but yeah, again, this movie was uh, uh, a little bit longer. But I, again, uh, none of these movies that, that have been long, kind of, you know, I, I haven't really felt the runtime for them. And I didn't mind it, you know. I, I enjoyed the the movie enough to where I was like, yeah, this this uh, runtime is, uh, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. But... Uh, but yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think of what else to say about this film. Uh, I loved how they used uh, Something in the Way by Nirvana. I love how they used that in the movie. It fit the movie so well. Uh, not only it being used in the trailer, but in the movie too. I, I thought it fit this version of Batman really well. <laughs> like his persona, like his personality and the tone of the movie. You know, I was like, oh yeah, this, this fits perfectly. Um but yeah, I, you know, uh, ever since the trailer came out for this movie back in, uh, August of 2021 or no August of 2020. Yeah. Cause it was originally supposed to come out in, uh, June of 2021. Then it was October 
of 2021, and then it got pushed back to March of 2022, and it came out uh, March 4th. Um, but, you know, it finally came out, and, you know, it, after what felt like forever, and, you know, it's one of my favorite superhero movies, and my second favorite Batman movie, obviously, and I loved the end of the movie, because we get a, spoiler alert, we get a surprise cameo from uh, Barry Keoghan playing the Joker, or what we're led to believe, which, what we briefly see of him uh, in his conversation with Riddler at the end in uh, Arkham, it looks like Joker. Like, I'm, if it's not Joker, uh, you know, I mean, it's got to be, because there's there was a deleted scene with Batman talking with Joker in Arkham, so... I mean, if he's not playing Joker, then who was he playing, you know? But yeah, the, that scene with uh, Joker, uh, Catwoman and, uh, leaving to go to Bloodhaven, and Gotham kind of being submerged in water after the Riddler's uh, plan, it's like, okay, these are all interesting. This is, a, this is a very interesting ending, like very interesting cliffhanger, and I'm curious to see uh, what happens going forward. And even though James Gunn is uh, at the uh, helm and Peter Safran, uh, you know, even though they're the heads of the D- what is now called the DCU, no extended, just the D- DC universe, uh, since they're the head now, uh, people were worried, oh, we're not going to get the Batman sequel, you know, from Matt Reeves, you know, he's <laughs> James Gunn's going to uh, tell Matt Reeves, oh, no, can't do that, it's not part of our uh, universe now. Uh, but I do appreciate that, uh, so far it seems like James Gunn's letting him do the sequel and the, actually he's got two sequels planned and two spinoff TV series, uh, for HBO Max. One of them involving the Penguin, which I'm really looking forward to because I liked Colin Farrell's portrayal of the Penguin a lot. So I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was interesting to see, um, uh, it was interesting to see that. Uh, it, it, it was uh, nice, rather, not interesting. It was nice to see that, uh, so far, James Gunn's like, you know what? Yeah, this isn't really, this isn't technically part of the DCU, because the DCU originally had Ben Affleck as Batman, and this is a different Batman altogether. So, yeah, I mean, and who knows, they may connect this and Joker, because Joker's also getting a sequel, and it's also a DC movie that's not connected to the DCU, you know? But, uh, you know, we may, they may connect the Batman and Joker to the DCEU, I mean, sorry, the DCU using the multiverse, you know, like they may do some multiverse stuff, and they may not. I honestly kind of maybe prefer it if they just kept the Batman and Joker to their own universes. Uh, But, you know, who knows? Um, It'd be interesting to see, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Uh... But I'm looking forward to the next uh, Batman movie, uh, and I and I guess it's going to be a trilogy. So I'm I'm curious to see will this top uh, the Dark Knight trilogy? Maybe, maybe not, or or maybe it'll be just as good. Who knows? We can only hope. But uh, but yeah, I mean the fact that uh, the movie it's the seventh highest grossing movie of the year of this year. Uh, it grossed the budget was uh, between 185 and 200 million. It grossed uh, a little bit over seven hundred and seventy million. Uh, I'd say it did pretty well. So, uh, at least well enough to get two sequels and two mo- uh, TV series, you know, greenlit. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to them. And uh, oh, real quick, 
I also wanted to say another thing I liked about, you know, since uh, Bruce has only been Batman for two years, I love the look of the Batmobile because it's not as like, like a, like a, this heavy ass tank, like uh, Christian Bell's Batman or, or even Ben Affleck's Batman's Batmobile. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, choppy or not choppy, but it's a little, it's not as refined. It's more of a car, really. Uh, it's, it's, it seems like something uh, Dom would drive in the Fast and the Furious movies. But, uh, but I liked it. I mean, it, it, it had still had a sleek, cool uh, design to it. Uh, but yeah, so looking forward to the next few Batman projects that Matt Reeves has, Matt Reeves has in store. And, uh, and yeah, so uh, there you have it. There's my top 10 favorite movies of the year of 2022. Uh, if I had to pick some honorable mentions, uh, and I really hate that I couldn't put these on the list. I wanted to, but I was like, ah, you know what? I, you know, they're, they're, they just, it, for one reason or another, they got cut off the list because there were just too many movies. There were only so many movies I could put on the list. You know, I could only put 10, uh, all at once. But, uh, if I had to pick some off the top of my head, uh, studio six, 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 I love the Foo Fighters, so yeah, naturally, uh, I loved the movie. It was a cheesy and campy, but it's a good cheesy campy horror movie. Uh, the Black Phone, another good horror movie, uh, but you know it got beat out by Barbarian. Uh, Scream Five or Scream and Halloween Ends. Again, I liked them enough to put them that I wa- I liked them enough to where I wanted to put them on the list, but too many options, you know. Uh, but. I, I did want to mention them in the honorary mentions or honorable mentions. And I guess Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, because I really did like that movie. Because uh, like I said, I went to go see it right after Babylon. And I wanted to put that on the list too, but I liked Bob's Burgers a little bit more. And I, you know, I liked that it was 2D animation uh, because I was like, well, I got to put the 2D animated movie that has just a little bit more edge than the th- the CGI animated movie, you know, because we rarely get 2D animated movies. But uh, but anyway, so yeah, those those would be my honorable mentions. And yeah, my number one favorite film is The Batman. So, uh, but yeah, uh, that does it for tonight's episode uh, of my top 10 favorite movies, or that does it for my top 10 favorite movies of 2022. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode and, you know, it's the season five finale, so uh, I will be posting a trailer in a few minutes for uh, what you should uh, expect for season six. And uh, season six will be premiering February, the first Friday in February, which I believe is the fourth, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look. Uh, let me check real quick. Oh no, it's, it is the third. Okay. So the, the first, uh, Friday in February, uh, the hell, the first, uh, you don't know yet. The first Friday in February, February 3rd will be the premiere of season six of the podcast. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for the trailer and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this season. It's been another great year of the podcast and I can't believe I've recorded 120 episodes so far. It's crazy. But uh, yeah, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great uh, New New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Uh, I hope you have a great next month, and I will see you all February 3rd for Season 6. So take care.